My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Answer. The Beginning. Extreme. And my name is Kevin. Nice. Welcome, Kevin. Woo! <laughs> Woo, indeed. We're so, so to happy you. to have you. So, Kevin, how did you get into Animorphs? What's so, your history? I started reading very, very early, and it was just like plowing through the local library, and I just happened to catch a book cover that was a kid turning into an animal. I'm like, oh, okay, I will check it out. Um, and then I read all of them as quickly as they came out. I remember yes. going to the local Barnes & Noble, picking them up as they... It, it was just... I don't know. It was like my first real book series. Oh, yep. wow. Do you remember the first book you read? Or like if you read them out of order? Or you just... I think by the it, time you got into it, it, you were reading I think it was... Invasion was... Uh, oh, okay. one, right? So yeah. I think it... Lizard, I did actually... Yeah. Grumpy Lizard Boy. Grumpy <laughs> Lizard Boy. Um, it was, I believe, in the, my fifth grade class with Miss Kessler. Um, All right. So... It was like in the room? Yes. She, oh, thanks, Miss Kessler. Yeah. yeah. That's um, great. She wasn't a great teacher, but she... She did one good thing for you. <laughs> she yeah. did one good thing. <laughs> Important contribution to your life. You're here, 20 years later, talking about Animorphs on a podcast. And I cannot be more happy. <laughs> so you read them all. I all the Chronicles them. books, all the Megamorphs books. Which, I will say, my favorite is probably the Workmanship Chronicles. Oh, okay. We um, just talked about that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and like, it's very funny listening to Gray talk about them. Knowing what happens, Like your impressions of a lot of the characters are... Those spoilers! Interesting. <laughs> and I'm sure wildly different from everyone else's impressions. Not necessarily. Like, you, I, I like the fact that you came into it with a fresh perspective, a modern perspective. Like, that makes a lot of difference. Oh, yeah. It's true. Did you watch the Animorphs TV show? I did. <gasps> Whoa! Tell me about what that was like for you. Powerfully underwhelming. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was so mad. But I still occasionally recognize actors and actresses from the show. Oh, really? Yes. Um, have they all gone on to have, like, careers? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, a couple of them have. Jake. Okay. Uh, nice. J- Jake. Tobias a little, I think. And Axe, oddly enough. Huh. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to look him up when I was roles. Yeah, um, Axe actually probably has the best career out of all of them. Wow. Um, what, what has I, he done? I'm I will curious. just say, if you've watched Psych, you have seen Axe. Oh, I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, we've been missing out. Right? I tell you. I know, right? Okay. <laughs> so, full disclosure, I do not watch Psych, but my wife watches it religiously, okay. or sure. did. Um, and I remember walking through the living room and seeing him on the television. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so did he get over the thing where he has to repeat words and like say the consonants a bunch of times? That's that's the character, Jenny. I mean, I assume he's also an Andalite, so he would still have that difficulty. <laughs> they did cast an Andalite. No one tells right? Jenny how TV works. <laughs> that's all right. She'll figure it out eventually. Right? <laughs> I just remember... One day I'll get DVR. Like, I remember... Staying up to watch the first episode of the Animorphs TV show. And, like, even as a little kid, realizing that it was a bad adaptation. Because, like, really? they just they just mess with plot points from the first book, like, sort of for no reason. And it bothered me so much. You know, like, it's my first exposure to a bad adaptation of a book I loved. Yeah. And it was just... 
just so underwhelming. The potential was there. I, I, f- I feel like if they had just thrown like a little bit more money at it. Yeah. And more starter sons. We'll get a TV show one of these days. <laughs> one can only hope. So this book, we read The Extreme, number 25. Yes. I hope that's the one you read also, Kevin. Yes, Otherwise, it would be really awkward. <laughs> Which uh, I, I have to say right off the bat, like, thank God they all have the polar bear now. I'll get into it later, but I have some serious problems with just, like, the Animorphs as an organization and tactics that need to be discussed. Yeah, you yeah, they don't, they like, great. They don't usually all acquire the same animal. That, Which I thought is that was absolutely really notable. Like, I can see narratively why that is the way it goes, but it, logistically it makes no sense. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but they should all have elephants. They should all have hippos. They should all have <laughs> crocodiles. A tiger is basically just a 500-pound animal with knives on everything. Why don't they all have tigers? Why don't they all have hork-bajir? Why don't yes. they all... Wait, yes! No, no, why don't they all have axe? Apparently an Andalite is, like, the biggest badass ever. Yeah. And there's one of them, and he always turns into something, I don't know. Well, he usually stays as a I think the sex double battle, thing is, like... Yeah. <laughs> that would be weird. But... So, logistically, they're not great. No, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but Jake, like, as soon as they got these abilities, and as soon as he was like, all right, I'm going to be the leader, or was forced into it, however you want to discuss it, he should be like, okay, guys, like, two, twice a week, we're going to, like, just meet up in the woods, and we're going to practice. Because, like, it's established that, yeah. like, there is skill involved. There's, ta- like, Cassie is better than all the others, and mm-hmm. Axe is better than her. He can, like, combine all the Oh, Axe isn't better than her. Well... He, he has different skills. He has different skills. Yes. He, teaches he them does have some methods that she doesn't have. Yeah. That's true. But, like, okay, super simple. Practice morphing and unmorphing as quickly as possible. If you could just, like, do it as, you know, in, like, a split second, that'd be so useful. No more having to, like, you know, sneak around. You just, like, train pop, montages. pop yeah. into a bathroom and, and, like, fly, human, fly. Done. <laughs> and it comes up in this book. Like, yeah. A yeah. lot. And, all right. So, wait. Yeah. Okay. Before wait, we get, we'll get too in, much we'll into get in, this. We'll get into the details. Great. What did you think of number 25? I liked it. It seemed like a, one of the more, you know, traditional Animorphs books. They, like, have a mission. They find the animal that's going to help them on the mission. They do the mission. They go home. Also, yeah. they got cold a lot, and I was freezing while I was reading this book. <laughs> just, were you, like, did you happen to be freezing or just because no, you were reading my, this book? No, sheer, out of sheer empathy, I was nice. like, this is miserable. Please just go home. Have you also sworn off ice cream forever? <laughs> no. no. I'm not sure I could ever be it's that. One of my, yeah. no. <laughs> it's one of my four major food groups, so I do not quit. Mine too. Yeah. I, I, it's good. Yeah. I was pretty underwhelmed. Uh, I It felt flimsier than the rest of the books. Like, I feel like there wasn't as much meat to it. Um, like, this is, I think, the first one, if I were telling someone to read the series, I would say to skip this one. Yeah. Like, I can't disagree with that. I was not underwhelmed, though, because I think oh, I went nice. in with thinking I would feel <laughs> that way, but I got a lot more of like, oh, yeah, it's just the Animorphs on a mission, and I kind of like hanging out with them. That's so it fair, felt, yeah. It felt like a more serious or maybe a little more of like a formulaic version of like a fluffy book because it's mm-hmm. like there were I felt like there were no thematic stakes for Marco like yeah, he had there exactly. were some nice moments but it was very light overall even though they were suffering from the extreme cold mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I actually enjoyed a lot and it was I think much funnier than these books usually are in yeah tone, yes, like even for Marco it seemed so, like it was like less than the sum of its parts because like I can huh. point to several good things in the book and like uh-huh. you know interesting ethical questions that were brought up 
But overall, like it's what Marco said in the beginning, you know, most of war is like 99% waiting and then like 1%. And that's exactly how it went down. It's just like, oh, and then we got the thing and we solved the thing and then we went home. Yeah, yeah there was no big picture yeah. to think about. Yeah. It felt a little bit like, like Megamorphs 2, if they hadn't had the comet thing at the end... And in just a slightly less interesting environment. Like, it's the still, like, oh, let's put the Animorphs in a difficult-to-survive-in environment. Let's have them have a lot of, like, banter among them among themselves and, you know, see how they do, how they adapt. It's also very similar to Eleven in that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, but, like, it Eleven has, like, the, the leadership crisis theme and the time travel. Could you do it over yeah. again? And this book doesn't have yeah. something like that. This one's just like, oh, it's really, really cold, and I do not <laughs> like being cold. Yeah. Actually, my my one memory of this book, I didn't remember very much. Like, I remembered, oh, yeah, there are the Venber and stuff. But I specifically remembered the first time Marco is warm again. And that whole, like, page that's, like, warmth. And he's just going on and on about what warm is. And I remember that moment. Like, that's pretty much it. Warm seals. Should we get a summary? Yes. I will, I will describe what happens in this book in... Up to, but not more than 60 seconds. <laughs> um, we get it like a kind of a cold open for the first time in a while where Marco is asked on a date by a girl and he... Amazing. Uh, it's to a classical music concert and it's so boring that he ruins his chances with the girl Marion forever. Um, but while he's recovering from his bad date, Eric the Chi shows up at school and says, hey, we've got a problem. The Yurks are working on installing a ground base in a remote part of the world that will allow them to beam Kendrona rays through the atmosphere into every swimming pool across Earth. So, you know, it would be a massive blow to the Animorphs' efforts, a huge step up for the Yurks. So the Animorphs are like, we have to stop this ASAP. Uh, but the Chi don't know exactly where it is. So what their plan is, is they're going to have Chi uh, use their hologram technology to impersonate the Animorphs so the Animorphs can leave for an indefinite period of time. And the Animorphs stow away on Visser Three's blade ship uh, in order to get to this new base. Uh, and so while they are traveling on the blade ship, they're, they realize that they're going to be traveling longer than two hours, so they have to morph and demorph without getting caught. Uh, they almost managed to do that, but uh, Visser Three finds out the Adelaide Bandits are on board. They get located... The ship suddenly lands and the Animorphs are surrounded. And so they bust through the walls of the ship and find that they are in some kind of snow-covered tundra in the middle of nowhere. And the blade ship goes off to leave them to freeze to death. The Animorphs realize their morphs can't live in this wilderness. And so they, they suffer a lot trying to just trying to survive sort of forgetting about their mission entirely. Not only that, but uh, the Animorphs are being chased by the Venber, a new race of aliens that have been bioengineered and resurrected by the Yurks. They're like kind of muscly hammerhead sharks with ski feet that are made of like solid nitrogen. So chlorine. Um, <laughs> solid chlorine. Yeah, something like that. But anyway, they're really cold. It's really cold. They... Uh, have some encounters with Arctic wildlife. Uh, they meet an Inuit hunter called Derek, who helps them acquire a polar bear. And they all use their polar bear morphs to steal a bug fighter, blow up the Arctic base, and then eventually make their way home. The end. Okay. Yeah, so that's what happened. All right. 
Yeah, it felt thinner on thematic content than... Well, I guess 24 also was mostly just ridiculous. <laughs> um, but well, we've had a lot of really heavy books recently, and so this is a Yeah, so should we, talk, should we talk about that a little bit? Because I feel like some of the stuff you were saying, Kevin, there are individual moments that stand out. I feel mm-hmm. like there are a lot of things that the Animorphs do or have to deal with in this book that feel like an escalation or like that the war effort is getting worse, but, like, the Animorphs have almost gotten used to it in a weird way. Hmm. And the stakes are incredibly high. Being able to turn any body of water into, like, a Yurka rejuvenation pool, that's huge. But it's just kind of like, oh, okay, another another Tuesday. We also enter a new era in Animorphs' ability to go on missions. They're employing the Chi to impersonate them, which is a really big thing. Like, they have been so confined by like, oh, but we have to go to school. Oh, but, you know, our parents are expecting us home. We're going to get grounded, all this stuff. And they're like, uh, we have to go away for a few days. Do you guys just want to sub in? And and then they're sort of freed from that. I do like the yeah. she clean everything. <laughs> but like, Marco's like, you're trying to impersonate me and you clean my room? What are you thinking? He so there the were a bunch. He cleans the basement. <laughs> there were a bunch of things on the war effort side. Like, the first one that stood out to me is when they they get themselves into this situation where they're on the blade ship. And they realize they have to morph and demorph. And they were like, we're in Visser 3's private chambers. We're hoping he leaves. That's plan A. If he leaves, mm-hmm. we can just do it real quick. If he doesn't leave, we're going to have to cause a distraction. And the distraction that they use is Axe does a, his best Visser 3 impression in targeted thought speak to summon hork guards into the room. And this infuriates Visser 3 to the point where he executes at least one of the guards and then runs out to you know discipline them. And mm-hmm. then after they've gotten this or three to leave, then they can morph and demorph. But there's this like awful moment where after the the first time Visser three executes one of the Hork-Bajir, Jake is like, "All right, I think we have to do it one more time." And they're yeah. like clearly unhappy about it. But this is like it's I think it's worse than what they do when they are killing the Hork-Bajir in a battle situation. It's like they're coming as close mm-hmm. as possible to killing a Hork-Bajir in cold blood because like they voluntarily went on this mission and they're choosing to use this particular approach in order to get the job done and so they're like they're like really willing to exploit viscer 3's bloodthirstiness in this really specific way and it seems like a a moral gray area that they are clearly feeling but like marco doesn't they don't go into it yeah marco says i almost felt sorry for the hork almost what is that, well, Marco? Yeah, that's, that's he, he also bad. like face plants and like while he's transforming back into a fly, and he's just like looking at him, and he's like, eh, he might live. Yeah, Maybe. I I felt like yeah. Then the way he reflected on it made it seem more like okay, he does actually. He's really a little bit haunted by this thing that that they did. Can I read the rest of the yeah the bit? So Marco says, I almost felt sorry for the Hork Bajir. They were just helpless slaves of the Yerks. Whatever they do is at the command of the evil Yerks in their brains. In fact, before the Yerks conquered them, the Hork-Bajir were a peaceful race. They're just big, dumb, bark-eating lizards, and kind of sweet, really. Innocent victims in a war that didn't seem to have any other kind. Yeah. Which is a really good reflection, Marco. I appreciate that. I feel that you could perhaps have found a different solution to this problem. Yeah. And also, at one point, Rachel calls Orkbajir walking wood chippers. Yeah, that was Which seems really... like it's from 10 books ago. Yeah, heartless. Yeah. Yeah. The whole helpless, they're just, you know, helpless slaves of the Yerks to the Yerks in their heads. You know, they're innocent. Gets sort of escalated at the end with the Venber. And that also isn't really a big, like, plot point. Like, they just kind of observe this happening. 
um, and sort of cause some of it, but don't really take on the responsibility where the Venber are actually programmed. Like the Yurks seem to have, the Venber are supposed to be extinct. The Yurks seem to have revived them, blended their DNA with human DNA, I guess, Which, somehow. first but, of many problems. Okay. But. <laughs> but yeah, they're being controlled by like, you know, remote controls almost. So they're being even more overtly not in control of themselves and then end up melting. Mm-hmm. Like they just get killed. And they get killed in this really helpless way that is really viscerally horrifying. Mm-hmm. And uh and I mean Axe has a couple lines about like, do we want to be like the next species to like exploit and destroy these guys? Like it's really mm-hmm. feels like it should be the culmination of a theme. I didn't feel like the book did enough to really bring it out, but you know, it probably wasn't the character to be the one to reflect like that. Yeah. If this had been a Cassie book, like, then you probably would have got that moral introspection. But because it was Marco, he relies very much on surface level, mm-hmm. like, interpretations just to protect himself. Yeah. yeah. He, he, oh, yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. how he ends the book, right? Yeah. He's like, yeah, the war is, like, pretty bad, but you can't dwell on this stuff or it'll destroy you, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's, like, it's actually very functional coping anamorphing, right? Like, yeah. we've seen him before struggle with all of these things weighing on him. And here he's like, oh, yeah, whatever, melt some Vember, you know, get some more Pajir killed. You know, maybe there's some human casualties. Like, at the end, they're, like, going around and they're like, we're letting the people, you know, get out of the buildings before we blow them up. But they don't know for sure that, like, yeah. they're not killing yeah, people. No. And, you know, it's only the middle of the Arctic. They'll be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. <laughs> we, we blew up their, blood, their bug fighter. It's fine. Marco's yeah. not even the only one that, you know, has been, like, skimming the surface that way, though. Because, like, Jake almost got, like, squished in Fly Morph, like, three yeah. or four books ago. And he's like, all right, guys, we're going to turn into flies. And we're going to, like, hop on to Visser 3's butt. And it's going to be great. Yeah. But, okay, so after the last book, Ted and I had a conversation about, like, why was Cassie the narrator of this book? It would have been maybe better from Marco's point of view. And then Ted was like, wait, aren't there, isn't there some moral stuff in 25? Like, why didn't they switch them? And I feel like they probably should have switched them. They probably should have. This would have been an interesting This Cassie would have been a better sure. Cassie book. And I think 24 would have been a great Marco book. It would have. Right. I wonder if they, like, planned that first and then... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, hindsight, you know. Yeah. And I wonder how much of it is what we talked about, that the women don't seem to get as many plot-forward books. Plot Although I wouldn't books. call this a plot-forward book. It's not really, but it is... More about the yeah. animorphs' I mean, mission than mm. Well, I guess, should we talk about the Cassie-Marco dynamic in this book? Mm. Sure. Because I think some of the ways that it plays out, I kind of understand why you want this external perspective on Cassie, right? Because in this situation, they're being kind of stalked by this polar bear as they're fleeing the Venber, and they're like, we're just freezing to death, we don't know what to do. And they see the polar bear tear a seal in half out of a sheet of ice and eat a bunch of it and then leave its corpse there and the Animorphs are like, I guess we're going to morph into wolves and eat it because otherwise we're going to starve. Mm-hmm. And they're all kind of like walking on thin ice around Cassie. Uh-huh. Yuck, yuck, um, yuck, yuck. <laughs> because they're like, oh, Cassie's going to have a problem with this. Obviously, Cassie loves baby seals. Who doesn't? Then Cassie is like, guys, we have to survive. It's not like we're, we're you know, hunting the seals needlessly. The polar mm-hmm. bear's already eaten the seal. Like, get off my back about seals and stuff. So she's like defensive about the fact that the group is thinks of her as the moral issues person. Yeah, looking to her for which, approval. If that's the way that she would be it would it would be really interesting to see that from her perspective too. Mm-hmm. But but it has to be said, they are eating that seal needlessly because 
if you recall, Tobias and Axe were on um, one of them, mm-hmm. and they're like, aren't you guys hungry? Like, no, we're actually not hungry anymore, because they were fleas. <laughs> you. <laughs> Which, and that's completely skipping the idea that, wait, you're like, you full reset. Like, uh, Rachel loses a foot at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. as long as you keep morphing and remorphing, you're, who cares if you're hungry? Like, you're, you're not going to go anywhere. It's, 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 really good. it's a physical question. constant. Well, because morphing is supposed to be really exhausting. But it, that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to eat. Yeah, and, right? and, and they said like after initially after morphing into the wolf, uh, you know, from their human form, they're like they get like a brief moment of warm, and then it's like okay, time to start slowly freezing to death again. So, a they don't need food. B if they needed food, they could have just all turned into fleas, which we know they all have that morph, <laughs> and gotten a nice meal off of you know one of them that way. It's really ambiguous how much food travels between bodies. And also how energy works when you're morphing. Like, you do, like, you can't just morph for infinity. Totally beside the point. Yeah. Absolutely beside the point. Because this is a group of children who are going across the Arctic, and two of them are fine. They are warm. (laughs) But they're also fed. Sure. But they, like, freak out at one point and, like, can't can't stand it. But you know what? Because they were hungry, and then they ate, and then they were fine. No, that's not why they freaked out. They freak out because they don't like being, that's fine. You know why? When they could be not fleas? When it's their turn to be the one out in the cold and everyone else is a flea on them. Mm-hmm. Take 100%. turns with one of you being exposed to the cold for mm-hmm. two hours. Everyone demorphs into human. The next person morphs into the person exposed to the cold yeah. and the rest of them are fleas they on them. They probably should have just done that. And then you get two hours of being a wolf and, you know, eight hours of being a flea. And yeah, it sucks. And I'm not trying to say it wouldn't, but you wouldn't be hungry. You wouldn't be freezing to death. Mm-hmm. And only one of you has to be exposed. That was the part that annoyed me. I was so annoyed the whole I, I time. I do like that Axe was just like, Prince Jake, I don't think I can maintain mental function for much longer in this temperature. <laughs> Maybe they were all like slowly dying of hypothermia, and like they weren't all there. Um, I'm little, oh yeah, so yeah, they Marco were, at some point. They were like, too hypothermic to totally think of the flea solution. Yeah. Well, Is that the? I mean, <clears throat> that, that was the other thing. Like Jake really dropped the ball in this one because, like, okay, the grizzly bear, fine. The wolf, fine. A gorilla is not equipped to deal with, like, negative 60 below. <laughs> but I think I think it was like, we have to run right now, and we can't take two minutes to morph. Was I? It but seemed they, but to two be of them the... did morph. Oh, that's true. Because Tobias, like, although they only morphed, they only morphed once. They didn't have to yeah. demorph and re-morph. Huh? Never mind the fact that, like, as Marco is running around in his gorilla morph again, not a good animal no. to be in the Arctic. He had like lost a piece of his chest uh-huh. because, like, just getting in contact with um, oh, the yeah, Venberg the, the, containment like gas just like cracked. A, uh, cracked I think it, it was off. when he landed on the ice and it stuck to the ice, right. and he ripped his skin off. Yep. And yeah. he's like, oh, yeah, my feet are, like, twice the size that they're supposed to be. I'm going to take a nap now. Oh, Rachel yeah. had to, like, bash his face. <laughs> so another thing that's going to make you annoyed, Gray, about the eating is if you remember the whole plot of Book 23, it's that Tobias needs to eat as a hawk in order to be fed. So the whole idea of getting sustenance while being in Morph is, like, completely contradictory <sighs> of yeah. canon today. totally forgotten about that. And yeah, Because otherwise Tobias would just morph to human whenever he wants to eat a meal and he'd be fine, right? Like, yeah. he would just do that. Yeah, because it, it can't possibly be that you can just eat and morph and then be fine in your... Like, eat the amount of, like, nourishment that a flea right. gets from someone's Right, the blood. flea thing is certainly mentally better and also in terms of avoiding cold, necessary. But the eating as a flea thing doesn't even make sense. No, yeah. and neither does them... Eating the seal then as a wolf, more. right? Like you'd have to demorph and remember mm-hmm. everything you mm-hmm. learned from. It, it was you know. really just there for them to feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Or, I mean, I think the reason they didn't all do fleas is because then we wouldn't have gotten, like, the endless grind of the cold and they were really trying to... I think it was, yeah, they didn't really think through Are you suggesting that the animals were slaves to the narrative? <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good way to put it. Also, 100%, yes, yes they are. Yes, I mean, that's, that's kind of the issue, the stuff you were bringing up before about, like, why don't the Animorphs just acquire all the animals and practice them a bunch? And I don't think we mentioned this, but, like, why don't the Yerks try plans more than once when they fail? And it's all because, you know, we want the narrative variety, and we want them to explore new animals in each book and not to have everyone have the same animal, and it's, yeah. Okay, so this is this is horrifying. But why doesn't Cassie just morph the whale? They can, like, carve out a bunch of blubber and then have her morph back to being human, right? Oh, Assuming no. she can survive the operation... Sort of hack Z-Space. Right. You should be able to get the matter out of it and then keep it and eat it. I mean, Rachel was basically like half a bear leaving the ship, so I'm pretty sure she could survive it. Oh, yeah, Cassie could survive that. Does her frozen foot disappear when she demorphs? Presumably not. No, no. Presumably it's left behind forever. It it, it couldn't, yeah. Which, by the way, there's a lot of bear like all over these bases now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's the other thing. Like, It's supposed to be like a very contained ship. And three doors open with like rows of four soldiers, <laughs> and she's just like, "I'm a grizzly bear, very impressive animal, but they're eight foot tall blade lizards." I'm sorry <laughs> that grizzly's getting disemboweled. She's not making it out of there. Which again? Well, she didn't try to attack the. the oh no, she did. She, she, well, she they, attacked and the. And certainly they the attacked vendor. her. It's like yeah. it's like paragraph after paragraph of I saw like ten horkpajirs around Jake, and then fifteen horkpajirs <laughs> around Rachel. Plot yeah. armor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought the the strategy of okay, go after these tanks of Venber. This is gonna—they don't want to harm them. Was a good one. You know, I liked. I did like Jake's strategy in that moment where he's like, "All right, we've got three teams. You do this. You do that. You do mm-hmm. that." Uh, yeah. That's a good, good uh, showing. He's leadership. so decisive. It's Jake impressive. yelled for like one of the. Oh yeah, yeah. Jake are we gonna talk about Jake? <laughs> yeah. Did do we want to finish any thoughts about Kathy? Okay, yeah, I I did want to mention like. I see your point, Ted. I'm not sure I agree that this moment with Cassie is better from the outside for some reason. I don't know. It's, I think it would have been better from, from inside her head. But I, the thing where she says, but you're all waiting for, you're waiting for me to give my approval. Is that it? Like, you can see how defensive she is as like, everyone is seeing me as, as she says it, all tree hugging, never eat anything with a face as some kind of fanatic. And, like, in a way, it is true she is the one that cares most about this stuff, but, like, it's interesting that she is sort of pushing back against that, against this idea of her as, like, sort of disconnected from reality, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, and the way that Marco phrases it is, unlike Cassie, I wasn't willing to let my moral sense live while the rest of me died of starvation. It's a and nice line. It's a good line and an interesting perspective on Cassie, and I wonder how much of this is still a holdout from 19. Yeah. But I feel like he, he grew closer to Cassie because of 19. Mm-hmm. Not like, I guess maybe when you said that, I heard that as kind of a dismissive thing, but maybe it is a more, he's like sort of allowing some room yeah. to admire well, that side of her. I think Cassie wouldn't wouldn't sacrifice her moral sense for her life. In this case, I think she doesn't see it as that kind of conflict, right. but. Well, the other thing that he says about Cassie is he says, I could usually expect Cassie to be the rational one, unlike Rachel, which I thought is an interesting admission that, like, even though he disagrees with where Cassie is coming from, he sees that she's usually being rational. They just kind of, like, disagree on what their principles are. Cassie is also the one that Jake sends to tell Marco (laughs) 
that um, the that the team has been meddling in his relationships by spying on Marion. So many issues with this one. <laughs> For no good reason. Uh, do you do you want to tell us about them? I mean, it does raise a very interesting question of I am more than willing to like give them the pragmatism argument, but like that is a huge violation of privacy, not just for Marco, but for Marion. Like she did not consent to have. I don't like, think it's a violation of privacy for Marco. I think it's a violation for Marion. Well, I mean, you can make the argument that he knew what was going to happen. Like, but I forget who said it, but that that ridiculous line: "He who would give up security, uh, freedom for security, deserves neither." Like, mm-hmm. I understand they're in the middle of a war and, you know, dead is dead, but it's still a massive invasion of privacy. And the idea that, you know, until this war is over, you are not allowed a life outside of this, like, you know, found family. That's hmm. not something that they've really reconciled with yet. I don't know that that's like, yeah, that's, you're right. I'm not sure. I, I didn't quite get that from the text because it's not like they were like, no, you can't date her. They just wanted to make sure she wasn't a controller. But that is sort of a... They can't really be open and honest with anyone outside of this. No, and, and Axe and Tobias admitted to watching her for three days. Three and days! It, and it's also like, we're not going to tell you. It's it, like the the animals mm-hmm. will often do this where they exclude like mm-hmm. one person from their like shenanigans behind the scenes, right? So, yeah. so they're like, oh, you know, we don't trust Marco around girls. If this, Even if he has one successful date, he's going to blab about the whole thing. Not so we'd fair. better go behind his back. And it does. It is weird because just because he's really unsuccessful with dating girls, this is the first time that it's come up in the books, right? Mm-hmm. But like, it sort of seems like they're setting a policy now, which is like no new important people in your life. So yeah. like, I also read it. Read it kind of no new important people from. in your life unless we've made sure they're not controllers. Right. Apropos yeah. of nothing, do we remember what the symphony was? Because Beethoven is not easy to fall asleep to. Beethoven's <laughs> third, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember the third. It's not that easy to fall asleep to any of the symphonies, I think, but. I think I had a slightly different read on it that is perhaps a little more insulting to Marco, for which my apologies. <laughs> oh, no. But my thought was they're doing it because the only reason anyone would ask Marco oh. on a date is if they thought he was one of the Antelite fans. That's so <laughs> true. Oh, my God. You're right. Wow. You are right. Wow. <laughs> which doesn't make it better and yeah, so certainly doesn't make it He was right. She was way out of his league. That's so funny. Oh. <laughs> which is not kind, but... <laughs> Okay, but also, let's consider the logistics of this vetting process, because this book is implying that, like, they have the ability to establish that someone is not a controller because they spent three days and didn't go near any known Yerkpool entrances. Do they really know where all the Yerkpool entrances are with a degree of sureness that they can be positive she didn't go into any of them? Also, and I know that this is irrelevant to the point, but if you have the ability to tell if someone is a controller or not, May I recommend you start with the members of your family? Yes, definitely. <laughs> Figure out who's a controller. Yeah, grow your base that way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've talked we've talked before about how maybe they don't want to grow their band. I mean, this is Axis Point in twenty, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are a guerrilla group. We don't like it's important that we have group cohesion, not that we have numbers. Sure. Um. So, and of course, we know how it went the last time. So they probably aren't going to try to bring new people in, but it would sure as heck be useful to know if their parents are controllers. Right. But like, yeah, people that they already know and trust. And also Mm -hmm. in this book, they encounter Derek, who's basically Inuit Marco, and he seems like an awesome guy. And they're like, yeah, I guess, you know, it's pretty unlikely that he's ever going to get turned into a controller because he he lives (laughs) in the Arctic somewhere. Right. And so like... What a security breach, though. If you're going to trust someone... 
why not recruit them? It seems like there's no he, downside. Oh, he lives, like, in the Arctic. Are you going to make him come, like, live in California instead? Are you just going to have, like, a long-distance animorph? Well, apparently there's two Venber going around just, like, <laughs> shooting all the seals for, rest of etern- for the rest of eternity. So his business model is not sustainable anymore. Swap him for one of the Chi, right? <laughs> Which, by the way, But the maybe chi, he like- likes his life in the north? Maybe. He seems totally chill. He's like, yeah, I get what you guys are doing. You're fighting the aliens. That's awesome, right? Like, <laughs> the Chi, like, they're not violent, but I feel like they would be really good at, like, okay, you know, this is a very important person. Can you just, like, make sure they're not a controller? They'd be awesome at well, that. Well, that's what they did here. No. Axe and Tobias did. Oh, uh, no, no, oh, no. They, 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 they admit later that, like, yes. the Chi helped a lot. They couldn't actually watch for three whole days. Mm-hmm. Touche. The other thing that would be useful for them to learn from the Chi is uh, how to go unnoticed for millennia, because mm. they've managed to slip under the radar for long enough that Eric, you know, was Beethoven's manservant for a while. <laughs> and we're back to the training montage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoyed that note about Beethoven, because it's that trope where, like, Immortal people happen to have known all of the famous people from the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric says, I was the maestro's valet for quite a few years. He was an awful person, but he made music my masters would have wept to hear. Aw, the Pemelites. Aww. Talks like Beethoven. <laughs> There's a 90s Beethoven. reference. I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> um, so before we going back to Cassie for a second, um, mm-hmm. at the end she gets this. She gets another kind of speech about what she believes, and she's like, "Okay, it's simple. Here's a clue: don't kill a sentient creature except in absolute self-defense. Try not to wipe out endangered species, and if you're going to raise animals for food, treat them as well as you possibly can. When you're a wolf, a starving wolf wandering around the frozen Arctic, and you see a meal, eat it. Right." Yeah. So it's like, this is all pretty stuff that I'm sure she believes, but it's also like not essential Cassie, right? Because mm. Cassie still believes in the skunk thing, which is like, we got these skunks Dracon beamed. Mm-hmm. So while it heals, I have a duty to like take care of the family, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's like more there. Yeah. I wish, she, like it's missing I wish there. she'd been like, we don't owe these seals anything, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's, I think, the heart of where, where Cassie's mm-hmm. coming from. She is also but, cold and hungry and <laughs> yeah. very, very, That's true. And Marco's like, Cassie's pretty grumpy right now. So yeah. I'll give her that. Not a morning and person. I don't yeah. think, I don't think she would say, we don't owe these seals anything. Cause she, th- I think she thinks that like people owe each other and other animals all sorts of stuff all the time just by, all being in existence. I think they don't owe the seals anything in particular because of their involvement in the seals' lives. That's what I meant. Yeah. 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 I also think that the Animorphs have violated two of the three, and the only reason we haven't violated the third is because they do not have time to raise animals for food. Oh, you mean in this book they they wipe out endangered species and kill a creature without self-defense? Yeah. In this book, yeah. they have really killed sentient point. creatures not in self-defense, and they have wiped out an they endangered species. They didn't kill them. That's well, an yeah, academic distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the other thing. We can fight about it, but they did. They, they never really like acknowledge it, but every time they like oh, yeah. go into battle, they're killing two yeah. sentient creatures. Yeah. So, like, although was it ever? Established? It is usually self-defense. But, it, it is, but yeah. like, couldn't like uh, Europe just like you know, as the Horkajir is dying, just be like, well. This is a bust and just like, you know, slither out. This or three does? Yeah. It seems it, like it's no. It's a slow poison. Yeah, if it's like, a, like a slow acting. Death, it's, it's never yeah. But probably if they're like just mortally wounded, the year could escape. But depending on the setting, that might not be any better for well, the year. They're still killing two. Yeah. yeah. It seems like in the capture, it takes minutes 
for the Yerk to gain control. Yeah. Right? So, like, I think if the host dies in less than a couple of minutes, then... Oh, but no that's... Way. I mean, first of all, that's the first time, like, getting to know a new oh, brain and, no, like, reconfiguring. And also, gaining control is different than leaving. Yeah. Those don't necessarily have to take the same amount of time. I guess I'm thinking maybe it's analogous to morphing. And it seems it like be. control is pretty instantaneous when the ho- return hosts are infested at the yurt pool. Right. Like, there's the woman who's sobbing, the yurt goes in her head, and then she's fine. Right. And that's the other question, like... I remember one of your earlier episodes, you had the question of, uh, specifically about, like, oh, Alfangor has the option of just, like, you know, destroying the Yurk pool. Um, and, you know, he's like, is it is this honorable to, like, you know, kill them when they're not, like, you know, in a, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. like, position to defend themselves? And, I'm sorry, yeah. Because, <laughs> yes, Because the okay, only yeah. other way is when they're inside an innocent and now creature. You're ki- yeah, now yeah. you're killing another creature who is just an innocent and, you know... And they really haven't brought that out. <sighs> Pull the plug on the jacuzzi. Absolutely, please, <laughs> and thank you. It, it's... So... I like how all Yerks are in jacuzzis now because that first one was a jacuzzi. It's great. I just assume. <laughs> There's, like, a theory of war where, like, if you're gonna do it, nobody wants to, but if you're going to... You should strike as hard and as fast and as possibly overwhelmingly as you can immediately because the longer it goes, the more people suffer. So it's better to just like like tearing off a Band-Aid. That's very much what we got in book seven from like the history teacher about yeah. like how we could have ended the war earlier if we'd struck harder. And the bombs in Japan were to like prevent the war from going on. Definitely controversial. No, absolutely controversial. But if the consequence is literally double the people die... Mm-hmm. And while they are still alive, they're literally enslaved by, you know, slug monsters in their brain. Mm-hmm. And they have to, like, Marco's mother, when she sees him in, like, book nine, like, oh, yeah, my my, my host is screaming in agony, but I control, 15, yeah. I, I control it. Like, that's horrifying. Yeah. But I don't think, uh, I don't think that Elfingor was a consequentialist. No, probably not. Well, but the thing that disappoints me about Elfinger is that he fails to come up with an alternative to this yeah, vision, right? Like yeah. he, his, he seems foolish for saying it. I actually think that it's like I do when you talked about the jacuzzi thing. You were like killing the Yerks in cold blood is a war crime. Like mm, I think that mm-hmm. if you know the Yerks haven't signed any like intergalactic treaty <laughs> about the way that they're going to wage war, right? But like I come down on that side of it in terms of the morality of it. But I feel like. If you're going, like, you can't just say, oh, well, you know, we shouldn't do anything. Because the, like, there's the duty to fight and there's the duty to do the right thing. And those are often in conflict in these books. Mm -hmm. But that's Um, often, like, the dichotomy between Marco and Cassie. Cassie is very much, like, you know, there are certain actions that are inherently wrong. And regardless of your intent mm -hmm. in performing them, that is, like, inappropriate. Whereas Marco's much more, like... I don't know if it's Kantian, but he, he says, no, 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 like, it's the Utilitarian. intent that matters. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, the intent. the intent that matters. Yeah, it's like, you know, I'm doing this not to hurt you, I'm doing it to save me, so it's okay. I think Cassie would say the intent matters as well. But, like, the action matters more than the, like, outcome down the road. But she didn't mean for that skunk family to get hit, or that skunk mother to get hit by the, the laser beam. That was just, like, she felt guilty because... If not for her, it wouldn't have happened. So yeah. the action, well, the Inten- yeah. intentions yeah. don't matter. Yeah. Infestation is always wrong, right? I think that's where Cassie mm-hmm. comes from in nineteen. Yeah, that's interesting. Again, I, I really wish that this book had been written from Cassie's perspective. Yeah. Which, full disclosure, 
like she was always my favorite character. Aww. But it, um, one of the weirdest things about reading them now again is I remember as a kid I like related the most to Tobias and mm-hmm. wanted to be Jake. <laughs> now I relate the most to Jake, but I want to be Cassie. Oh, That's interesting. Really That's great. I like that as a love story. <laughs> I, I don't know. Hopefully someday you'll be Cassie. <laughs> she's just so certain of herself and that's really really rare that's interesting because I feel like she spends most of 19 really uncertain she does but the fact that she's willing to question herself like that like is part of her growth Jake mm-hmm. kind of just mm-hmm. he can't quite he likes half articulates a lot of questions but then has to push them he, to the side right, he has to kind of lie to himself yeah. to keep going and, Mar- and Marco is nothing but a web of lies <laughs> just waiting <laughs> <laughs> crashing down <laughs> Yeah, they do exist on that spectrum. I like that. And Rachel is one of the least introspective characters in the entire show, which is mm-hmm. interesting because that's normally like the position that you would take, like you know, the jock in. But well, she's in, the warrior. Yeah, she, she she's the absolutely yeah. a warrior. But like every time she like you know tries to you know peel back the veneer just a little bit, she just kind of like recoils in like horror and just like yeah, it's really <laughs> bad for her. That's not. Yeah. So is there more we want to say about Cassie? Should we start talking about some of the other animorphs? Because there was a lot of like. Group dynamics, character moments in this in general. Yeah, let's jump to some other people. Should talk about Jake? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thought it was a good Jake book. Mm -hmm. It was a good Jake book. Yeah. Except for, like, the plot holes. I feel like he did well (laughs) (laughs) in his function as leader of the universe. Yeah. Very decisive. We see him doing a good job of, like... When he's the tiger, like, Marco's like, I knew Jake, like, Jake must have been suffering as the tiger, but he wasn't going to say anything while the rest of us were not yet okay. Mm-hmm. And it, that feels like sort of an okay level of, like, self-denial, putting the group first. Like, he wasn't about to pass out, but not saying anything. He was he was like, okay, I can keep going and let's, you know, I'm not going to complain while the whole group is. He also, Marco has a moment at the beginning when they are trying to decide what to do. And Jake asks if they need to take a vote. Marco says, no votes. Jake decides, then if it goes bad, we can all blame him. <laughs> Which is, poor Jake. I mean, he's doing his best, but that's tough. Yeah. It's Marco's being flippant and joking, but it's also like, that's that's also true. Accurate. It's yeah. true. I also like, earlier in that scene, Marco is watching Jake kind of like, pre this explicit ask for a vote. Mm-hmm. He, Marco thinks, Jake looked around at all of us, not exactly asking for a vote, but obviously wanting to hear from us. So it's like subtle Jake yeah. again, being like, I'm going to kind of get everyone's perspective and then decide whether I'm going to make an executive decision or put it out there. And then we see him later. He's like, okay, I'm going to ask for a vote and then accept the mantle of choice. Right? Marco talks about his Jake look, the sort of weary, (laughs) worried expression he gets when he's faced with some decision that may result in all of us ending up dead. We talked in 22 about Rachel sort of consciously taking on this... um, I will do the terrible thing so that other people don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they're they're similar in a lot of ways. Jake does the I will decide the terrible thing mm-hmm. so that, you know, I will take the burden of choice so no one else has to have it. Also, my favorite Jake moment in this book is at one point he yells, Holy! <laughs> Which yeah. of all the no, he did not. abbreviated cursing it that you delightful. can imagine, like, Mother or son of a, this is the one that is least plausible. <laughs> oh man, um, yes, I liked that. Marco also has some great um, descriptions of the other animals uh, in the usual intro, and when he what he talks about Jake is he's our sort of leader, not because he asked to be; it's probably because he'd never asked to be. 
He's one of those tiresomely dutiful, level-headed guys. If you'd met Jake, you'd understand why we turned him, call it charisma. Something about Jake commands respect. And I'm sorry, something about him definitely commands respect, but it is not charisma. <laughs> it's not charisma. <laughs> well, he's very tall. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the next paragraph is, not from me, of course. He's been my best friend forever. I was with him when he was nine and ate an entire pie on a bat and ended up blowing blueberries for an hour. <laughs> Which is great in terms of establishing, like, their friendship and the fact that, like, there's that sort of balance in Jake where he's really responsible and then also sometimes does really stupid stuff, just, like, is willing to kind of mm-hmm. slough off that responsibility. But also it felt to me a lot like Marco being like, okay, but but our relationship is special. Like, I'm I'm not I'm not on the outside looking at his leadership. No, I, I have the in. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a trusty so lieutenant. I like yeah. that. There's a lot about Rachel, sort I, of like a lot of brief mentions. Rachel had a very interesting journey on this one skipping like the character development there was a lot of body horror in this yes. one uh, like a lot yes. of body horror mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah another reason it's a classic animal <laughs> but like more so than usual like I mean we had the flies and like all of the eyes popping again mm-hmm. um, yeah gross morphs yeah but like people were losing limbs people yeah. were like getting flayed an inch of Marco stays on the ice yeah uh, and you know again like he's looking down at his knuckles that are just like you know completely bloody and raw even when they're uh, being you know charitable and kind like uh, Rachel punches him in the face to like wake him up out of his uh, hypothermic stupor and he yeah. like spits out all his teeth yeah <laughs> yeah just, the morphs are really gross oh so gross there's yeah. one Rachel thing that really disturbs me mm-hmm. um, which is when they get cornered by the orc bajir they're trying to like think of a way out of it and Jake does eventually come up with this clever plan but Rachel's just like give me the word Jake and I can take out Mr. Three before we all die and I'm like, this is like really alarming, mm-hmm. right? She's yeah. like, she's like almost excited, or like she is excited about, you know, all right, it comes down to it, you know, I can at least die in like the murder of the guy I hate the most, right? Yeah. And she's she's kind of thrilled about it. I'm a tiny bit worried that that's what's going to happen at the end of the series. Oh no. <laughs> well, could a grizzly bear take an Andalite? <laughs> she thinks so. No. Okay. Rachel can. Right. Rachel <laughs> thinks Rachel can. That is 100% true. I mean, I liked that she was, like, it was interesting that she was asking Jake's permission for it. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, like, I don't know, Marco and Rachel, we've been observing in recent books, like, they have a, like, they seem to sort of have this very friendly banter thing mm-hmm. going on. And it felt like the tone in this one was a little bit different. Like, there is, Marco reflects on it, you know, he's, he calls her... <laughs> He says, Rachel is your basic psycho babe, which, not the best language choice. Also, I like that basic didn't mean the same thing back then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Grizzly bear, pumpkin spice latte, already has the boots. Yes. (laughs) She would actually probably tell you she'd be like, she'd be like 50% basic and totally like owning that, but then also just have like some excellent avant-garde taste. Uh, but yeah, he, he says, like, he's looking at her trying to decide for the millionth time whether she's brave or just insane. She, he says, when he's, like, sort of, when he's very hypothermic and she's punching him in the face to wake him up, he says, angry. She's always angry. And then when she finally wakes him up, he's like, what is your problem? And she says, I'm trying to save your life, you idiot, Rachel said. Don't know why, but I am. Which felt like, I don't know, maybe it was just, like, they're very cold and, you know, in dire straits and stretch thin so they're like trying to do their thing and it's like not doesn't quite have the same uh, dynamic that it usually does 
I have two Rachel things that I want to talk about. Are they about Tobias? Only one of them is. Okay. So I'm going to start <laughs> with the other one. one. <laughs> I know, usually. But I'm going to start with the other one, uh, which is about Cassie. Um, so Cassie has been knocked unconscious oh. in the fight with the Hork-Bajir. And yeah. the freezing mist that is the thing that, like, they kills on contact. Gas chlorine gas, whatever it is, um, is, is advancing towards her. Without hesitation, Rachel walked into the mist and lifted Cassie's wolf body with her teeth. The grizzly's left foot stayed where it had frozen. Rachel staggered to the door on a stump. No yeah. hesitation. She's yep. going to go back for Cassie. I loved that. And then the other very important Rachel moment is, of course, Rachel and Tobias. Tobias mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. in his flea morph, and she she tells him to morph and, like, puts him on her in her grizzly morph. And uh, they're bickering. Marco and, and uh, Rachel and Tobias are bickering. And Marco says, so says the flea, all nice and warm in his honey's back fur, which, <laughs> what a weird <laughs> Terrible sentence, but yes, Bad go sentence, on. go on. Uh, it's hilarious. Ra- <laughs> just, what? Rachel is shocked. What did you say, Rachel demanded? I guess she was shocked that I'd dare to make any remark suggesting she and Tobias were more than just friends and animorphs. Like, that was some big secret. And I was okay. like, Marco knows! It was a big secret. Knows. No, Marco okay. didn't know as of book 20. Of course, as soon as Marco figures it out, he has to pretend to the reader that he knew yep, all along. Exactly. Right? <laughs> That's probably, what's happening. He probably just figured it out. He right? figured it out in 23. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you'd figure it out. He figured it out when Tobias collapsed during that fight and Toby picked up Tobias and Rachel was like, give me Tobias or I'll kill you. And and then Marco's like, oh. Well, of course, everyone knows. Everyone's always known. It's super obvious. (laughs) And later he says, like, uh, Tobias instead goes and hides in Jake's fur. And Marco says, I guess my undiplomatic (laughs) remark about Tobias and Rachel had made them self-conscious. It probably did. I've been waiting for this moment. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I knew it happened at some point. I was hoping we'd see him realize, but, you know. Never mind the fact that they're all, like, wolves in no clothes, like, huddled together, like, the entire night, like, morphing in and out. Yeah. I liked the line, Jake's, or someone says, I'll take Axe and Tobias while you go first. They can stay on me, Rachel said. Um, Rachel, Jake said, you have to pass through human on the way to wolf. Like we'd see anything, Tobias said with a laugh. We're fleas. Was that Jake's concern? Like, what a weird concern. I don't know. I think that's more just Tobias, Tobias like, playing Tobias down. being like, don't worry, I won't say anything. But I loved how protective she was in this. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, we talked a little bit in, in 23 about how Tobias is resisting other people helping him. And he sort of has that instinctive, like... I need to be independent, all that. And I was thinking that's kind of important in someone who's going to be in a relationship with Rachel because it would be so easy for her to just sort of damselify whoever uh, whoever she's with mm-hmm. um, because she just wants to be incredibly protective all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's good that he has sort of that independent streak and can, like, balance her out. Yeah. Rachel has at least two damsels in the Animorphs, if not five. <laughs> <laughs> two primary damsels. Right. Yeah. That's delightful. <laughs> I love that. What did you guys think of Tobias in this book? He didn't really get the opportunity to do too much. I mean, I, I don't know if I, I had a really strong impression. Wisecracking Tobias, like mm. it turns up to eleven, like way more than he usually is. He's always had this funny streak, but sort of a wry streak. Yeah, he was cracking a lot more jokes. Well, he and Axe had uh, both of them were kind of taking on a little bit of the funny man role too while Marco's narrating. I, mean, I have a whole Axe section. Axe was amazing in this book. Yeah. yeah. I think Tobias was also pretty funny. Your but... <laughs> I loved that running bit. That was like really brought oh out. 
I liked the introduction of Andalites don't have mouths, they communicate and thought speak, so whenever Axe does his human morph, he's fascinated by the sounds he makes. By the way, he's the only one who's fascinated. <laughs> uh, he also calls, once again, Marco calls out that Axe's human morph is disturbingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he refers to Axe and Tobias as their handsome selves. Later <laughs> oh. So... We talked a little bit about Marco's thing for this girl, who she he's like, the one drawback is that she doesn't seem to get my jokes. And I was like, Marco, that's not a small drawback. That is a major drawback. And I'm still, I don't know. I'm a little concerned about this thing with Axe. I don't know if, I don't know how much uh, it's going to be able to take off if, if Axe doesn't get the jokes. Wait, Axe, but this is the book where Axe discovers humor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really liked the part where... Um, I'm totally serious. Marco hasn't realized. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, he's like, he's trying super hard. Axe really wants to be good at humor. He, Marco starts telling this joke. He's like, anyway, the one blonde calls out to the other blonde. How do I get to the other side? That is very funny, Marco, Axe said brightly. <laughs> Marco's like, that, that wasn't the punchline. I like that Axe, Axe is trying to uh, polish up his sense of humor, probably because he has a crush on Marco. There is a thing where, uh, Vember, what happened to them being extinct? I cried. Reports of their extinction may have been exaggerated, Axe says. Axe, are you developing a sense of humor? If so, stop it, okay? <laughs> now is not the time. <laughs> okay, it might so be the only time. We could freeze to death. This is my, my main... I'm going to enter this into evidence for Axe having a sense of humor now. Ooh. So... They're talking about how they're going to ride Visser 3 to the blade ship, mm-hmm. approaching him from below as flies and hanging out on his stomach fur. And someone's, Jake, I think, is like, any questions? And Marcus says, "Now, nah, why would there be questions? I mean, it's all so simple and easy and normal. What could possibly go wrong? Was that an example of human sarcasm? Axe asked. <laughs> and then Marcus says, Axe, it's sarcasm for anyone, not just for humans. Missing the fact that this is an example of Andalite sarcasm. <gasps> the first case where he says, oh my was gosh. that an example of human sarcasm, Marco? <laughs> He's- I'm so excited for them to learn each other's humor languages. Yeah. This is yeah. going to be great. And then the whole, obviously, the of your minutes thing is a bit. He's doing Oh, no, a bit. it's true. Yeah, they're, he's flirting. Yes. Oh, this is great. I'm so excited. <laughs> he also later on helpfully translates for, for Derek oh. that no, that Marco is uh, Marco is being sarcastic <laughs> and, and acts as helpfully to Derek. That is sarcasm. <laughs> in case you didn't quite, quite pick it up. Thank you, Axe. <laughs> so helpful. So they're in Flymorph on Visser 3, and uh, there are Taxons talking to Visser 3. He's welcoming the Visser back aboard the blade ship, Axe translated. Or he may be telling him his brother is a meteor fragment. <laughs> I understand Gallard, but this morph's hearing is very uncertain. <laughs> Which I really liked, but also now want to explore the possibility that that's actually what the taxon was saying. <laughs> we know Vista yeah, 3 has a twin brother. Language. We know there are sentient asteroids in this galaxy. What? Just saying, there's some potential That's there. another crack fic request, everyone. Please. <laughs> Please write us the one where Joe Bob Finestre's Yerk uh, leaves him and goes and infests a living asteroid. Axe definitely saved the day twice on this mission. Uh, first, when he was able to use his no- uh, knowledge of uh, Yerk ship construction to oh, yeah. lead them to the oh, cargo yeah. bay. The cargo bay. And mm-hmm. second, like, granted Marco did smash open the panel, but Axe was the <laughs> one who was able to open up the yeah. uh, hangar doors. That's so good. I liked his defense. Uh, he's like, he certainly does not stink, Axe said defensively about Visser 3. This is an Andalite body, and Andalites have never been known to stink. 
He also provides... Yeah, you keep telling yourself that. Yeah. <laughs> he also provides some very helpful knowledge, as usual, the sort of exposition of these new aliens mm. comes from Axe, which Should we talk about the Venber? Oh, gosh. I would love to talk about the Venber yes. whenever you are ready for it. The Venber of so many problems. So Go. Many. Should we start with the science of the Venber? So... I like or the fact. lack of science of the member. Well, no, because so a chlorine-based life form, very very cool. The fact that they, could, you know, in their melted form, they can be used as a, a you know a high temperature superconductor, also very very cool. Yeah, it's actually like a really interesting like moralistic thing. Which, by the way, the Yerks they can apparently like you know make these things now. Why don't they have super fast computers? <gasps> Just gonna throw that out there. Well, they probably do. Why don't they bioengineer? Hosts for themselves? Yeah. Why don't they combine Such a humans good with question. Andalites? Why don't they combine Yerks with Andalites? Like, there, there, there's so many questions. Uh, but, so, the storage... The storage... <laughs> I, I wish we were on Twitch right now. <laughs> the storage... Like, the storage containers where, you know, uh, Rachel walks through the mist and, like, loses a foot. Uh-huh, I'm sorry, uh-huh. that, that's not the way that ultra-cold things work. Uh, don't, I'm, I'm sure she would have gotten frostbite, mm-hmm. but like th- that thing that you see in the movies, where like someone like dips their uh, like dips their hand into liquid nitrogen, it doesn't like you know immediately shatter. Like if you go into mm. space, you're cold, but you need to have a way to suck all that heat out of you. It takes time. It, yeah, yeah. It, there, there's like a duration to it. Wait, not, but what if it's just really, really, really cold? <laughs> well, it could be really, really, really cold, but there is a lower limit. It's called absolute zero. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> okay, but what if it's really, 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 really cold, Kevin? Still absolute zero. <laughs> what if it's? Hold on. What if it is Z cold? Oh, 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 oh. oh, I love this. Okay, then maybe. Um, also, they melt at room temperature. Um, so there are reports of them, you know, like with their arms bending steel beams in the snow. Just throwing it out there, when you bend metal, it creates heat, and if it, <laughs> it melts at room temperature, it would take one beam, and then that heat radiating through the metal, because it's a good conductor, like, all of a sudden they have no hands. How much heat does... <laughs> how much heat is created a when lot. you bend metal, really? Uh, so if you were to, like, hand me just, like, uh, any, like, a paper clip, uh-huh. I can go like this, and uh-huh. if it has, uh, like, the instance that I snap it, I could like, burn your arm with it a little bit. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. And also think about... Bending a piece of steel like in a, the Arctic. Yeah, like rebar. Like, you need a tremendous amount. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. Also, the Dracon beams are basically just fire cannons. They shoot one. Mm, good point. There goes Radiant my face. Heat. Yeah, yeah. I have no face. Radiant heat doesn't exist in fiction. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Until it apparently does. <laughs> so that, wait, wait, wait. Tell me more about this trick. Okay, you know in The Hobbit when, like, the, the, when the dragon breathes fire and, and uh, Bilbo hides behind the pillar so the fire misses him? Now, in the real world, that would kill him because of radiant heat, but it's fiction, so it's fine. It's actually a very good point. Is that the only example? No, it's a thing that happens all the time in fiction, where there's, like, fire near someone, and it doesn't touch them, so they're fine. Independence Day, where they're in the (laughs) tunnel, and the dog jumps in through the door, and the giant fireball just whooshes past them, and everybody's fine. See, this is what I'm saying. You know, even if the fire didn't burn them up, there's no more oxygen in that tunnel. (laughs) They're going to suffocate. You're right. Yeah, radiant heat doesn't You don't need oxygen in fiction. It's fine. (laughs) Apparently not. Um, But yeah, like, you know, they they burst into the base where it's like, you know, a normal temperature, which was probably like, you know, freezing. And they're just like, I'm a puddle now. Yeah. So... I'm sorry, like, you, you can't have them touch anything that rises above, like, you know, negative 200? So... Yeah, maybe... Well, it's temperatures maybe, above freezing. 
but it, they're solid chlorine. So uh, hold on, I'm, I'm sure we can look this up, but I'm pretty sure like the freezing wait, point of chlorine. They couldn't just wait. be chlorine because they're yeah. Don't they have DNA? Yes. That doesn't make oh, any yeah, sense. Th- 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 that's the other thing. Like, you, you cannot, <laughs> they're not carbon based. Like they made a big point of saying uh-huh, they're not uh-huh. carbon based. Which fun fact, there actually are several like you know chemical structures that you could make like. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Silicone-based life forms. Uh, Silicone-based mm-hmm. life forms, and I think there's one other one where they would like breathe ammonia. Whoa! Oh yeah, yeah. That's the uh, one that's on Jupiter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life forms there, yeah. So like, it's there like are other ways to like make it work, but like to establish that, be like, oh, cool, that's that's really cool, and then immediately just be like, oh, but then they combine them with a carbon-based life form, so everything's fine. They're not gonna be able to eat anything. <laughs> like, there's no food for them. <laughs> Oh, Unless no. they eat just, like, cold. Well, okay, no, 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 but that plays into the theme of what the Vember are, which is the Yurks have created them to be these, like, computer-controlled life forms that are, they're like snowmen. They're destined to yes. melt one day, right? They, and they that's, that's super horrifying. Oh. Which, in global warming, they have now melted. Nah. <laughs> also, no more polar bears, which was really sad. Like, I, I remember looking at the cover when I got I'm just like, oh, poor Nanook. So I think that they actually could be ammonia-based, and they just smell like chlorine because okay. maybe they aren't necessarily good at distinguishing between the odors of chlorine. I like this theory. That, that's yeah, that's idea. reasonable. It, it doesn't help your point because <laughs> the um, melting point of ammonia is negative 77 degrees Celsius. So quite so, chilly. Yeah. It wouldn't help. I mean, no. they're still melted. So I just want to say one thing quick about the DNA. So I think the reason we think they have DNA is that Axe says that they do. <laughs> <laughs> He's not he the best probably wasn't paying attention in class. Yeah. Um, and so he says, um, I can only speculate, uh, I suspect that because of the temperatures, they were able to re- retrieve some intact genetic material. Probably they coupled the Venber DNA with some other species. These would be a hybrid, part Venber, part something else. He thinks human. Fine. <laughs> But I think we don't have any evidence of that. What we no. do have very distinct textual evidence for is that they took part Venber and part robot. Yeah. And combined yeah. those two things. So they took some of the Venber strengths and combined them oh, with the Oh, so maybe the human was like parts. a red herring. I think it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't come up. It probably doesn't matter. But when they melt, there are kind of robot bits left behind yeah, so they have, the like, melt. gauntlets so that they can do the work. Okay. Right? But, but <laughs> that shields them. That still doesn't the solve the issue because electronics don't work in extreme cold. So if you're going <laughs> to have robot parts... But maybe the electronics, the, are, the circuitry isn't the same kind of Well, how did, like, the heat shields on the sun probe work? Uh, they use radi- uh, radiating shields with gold, I think. So, uh, like, gold foil, because it's, like, superconductive. So, so it could gold foil-based gauntlets protect them? Yes, if they were long enough. <laughs> I suppose, like, if, if, they, if they had, like, meter-long gauntlets of gold. This is a great... Why didn't they do that? That's a great image. I don't know. No, but remember, radiant heat doesn't exist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't have to be that long. So there's this thing where, like, the Animorphs burst into the hangar and the Venber follow them and melt. Like, immediately. Yeah. And uh, they're, the Animorphs are all, like, piling into the bug fighter. It's, like, trying to leave, and they're, Jake's like, come on! And Cassie and Marco are hanging out outside. And uh, it says, we waited till all eight of the Venber at the base had destroyed themselves. I don't know why. With all the danger, all the terror, someone still needed to be a witness. Someone needed to be able to tell the world someday about this year atrocity. Which, on the one hand, like, I liked that as a moment of reflection, as a moment of, like, yes, okay, we need to... It wasn't very Marco, but that was kind of nice that, like, it 
struck him strongly enough that like even though it was it's like not his normal mo he did that but also is this just a yerk atrocity because the venber i mean they were like sort of recreated as robots and like don't have any freedom and put to work you know the yerks did all that but like the yerks didn't melt them no but it's kind of a microcosm of the whole conflict in Ooh. general, because you have a species that is just, an, uh, they were extinct. They did mm-hmm. not ask to be part of this war. And through the year programming, which, you know, you might as it could be the program or it could be a slug in your brain, they have no free will. And yeah, they're yeah. throwing themselves to the cosmic slaughter. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I, I was saying, it's, like, it's sort of the escalation of the Herkajur thing. Yeah. It also reminded me of the Arn monsters. Like, I feel like this was actually getting to some of the thematic stuff we wanted to see in the Horkbegir Chronicles, where, like, the Arn create all these monsters to to separate themselves from the Horkbegir, and that's, like, something... It's twisted to be creating these creatures, you know, for, out of DNA or whatever. And so this is, like, the Yurks are kind of doing the same evil bioengineering yeah, thing. And yeah. here we get to see the Venber get, like, a little bit of, you know, humanity attached to them as they melt, and it's tragic, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's it's tapping into that same kind of, like, bioengineering is really messed up. <laughs> or bioengineering creatures that, like, and making it so they don't have free will and you can just control them robotically is right. messed up. It would almost be kinder if they did, didn't have any free will to begin with. Like, if they were purely yeah. robotic amalgamations. I mean, they might have. We don't really know what is organic, what's robotic. But we have what, no why idea. were they even useful? Because if you have the robots, then just use the robots. Like, wh- Maybe wh- they why, didn't have robots? Why go to the time and That's effort a good of resurrecting a long-dead species that is just like an Andalite myth? I mean, again... That melts um, at room temperature. Yeah, I, uh, unless you're going to use them, like, that really cool biology where, oh, cool, now we have, like... A, ton of superconductors, mm. which railguns. Well, cool. Was there a, was there like a satellite dish? There was. Yeah. They destroy yes. a satellite dish. Yeah, yeah. so it's, I mean, they, they need them for their biology, which is the ability to withstand incredibly cold temperatures and be very strong on Earth to build a base at the North Pole. You couldn't have human controllers or Herc-Bajir controllers. But there you could have robots. But you could have half robots, half Venber, who are you know, adapted to that particular climate and don't need to have a rest area when they can just, like, go sleep outside. Well, they're not resting because, again, no food. No food. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's nothing for them to eat well, in yes. the biosphere. Well, at this point, <laughs> yeah. Maybe they imported food for them. Imported. Maybe they just From the frozen moon. Maybe they eat snow. Bleach. I don't know. They eat bleach. Wait, isn't bleach and ammonia bad together? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you get... <laughs> Yeah. We're not going to get into that one. That's probably Don't mix bleach and ammonia, kids. Yeah. Can we talk about the Vember's backstory for a second? Sure. Yes. Oh, yeah. That was interesting. Is it worth reading? Or, like, it's, um, it's only a little bit. To summarize, uh, the Vember uh, X says, has much to do with modern Andalite policies and the methods of interstellar interaction. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So they were a primitive species with a highly unusual physiology, um, not carbon-based, etc., and they were discovered towards the dawn of Andalite space travel, not by the Andalites, but by another race called the Five Initial Caps. Mm. No one knows who they are. Uh, Marco makes a joke. Maybe, maybe they're they between the four and the between six. Between the four and the six. Unbelievable. It's the kind of joke I would make. It would be terrible. Yeah, not a good joke. Uh, so the Five <laughs> discovered the Venber and began to trap them and export them. And they basically harvested them because a Venber will melt Uh, or become liquid at temperatures above freezing, and the resulting liquid can be used for the creation of superconductors for the computers of that era. So 
They are sentient creatures, and the five annihilated them. Axe says they annihilated a sentient species to speed their computers, and the Benver disappeared. As a kind of coda to that, Axe says, if it's any comfort, the five are no longer in existence either. Soon after we encountered them for the first time, they dot dot dot. Well, no one knows for certain what happened to the five, but Andalites in that era are not the Andalites of today. It's interesting that he's sort of disclaiming this thing where... I guess they got rid of the five. I guess they didn't do it because they destroyed the Vember. Because I was like, if you destroyed the five for destroying the Vember, I don't know, I'm kind of on your side. (laughs) But what if it's about how they destroyed the five? What if it was a quantum virus? Exactly. What if this is the, like, historical atrocity that the Andalites, where the Andalites did something and, like, maybe it was too... I love it. I buy it. It's my headcanon. Yeah. See, now my headcanon was that the five went on to become the Alamist. Or the force <laughs> of the elements is fighting against one or the other. Ooh. And actually, no one knows what happens to them because they're still around. They like, the went five to the were time so matrix. powerful, they had to be separated into five, and the Andalites combined them into one phenomenally, cosmically powerful creature. Mm-hmm. And put him in the time matrix. Yeah. Each was each of the five was hidden in a different place, and the elements can't be killed <laughs> until they find and destroy each of the five objects. Wow. I do like the casual mention of like, the Andalite Prime Directive, though. Yeah, yeah. 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 Andalites are totally operating off of Star Trek rules and the Yerk of the Borg. They're but not, it's not good at it. It's not the same as the Prime Directive, because the Prime Directive is very much like, for your good, other species, you must be allowed to develop in your oh, right. ordinary It's more like course. don't interfere, whereas and, the Andalites are metalsome. Right, and the Andalites, the Andalites thing is like, don't give technology to other species because they might become dangerous. Like, it's very much like a fear-based sort of self-protective thing rather than a like, we want you to develop the way, you know you would have if we hadn't been here. The Andalites are the Klingon. Yeah. Well, I think the five are the, I don't know. I can't think so. And the Elemist is Q. (laughs) Okay, so I want to bring something up that you may or may not be aware of, Greg, which is this was the first ghost-written Animorphs book. (laughs) I feel safe bringing it up because now we've at least gotten... Yeah, we've talked about it a lot, yeah. Uh, and I, w- I really want to hear whether your impression is any different knowing that. So I guess I'll, I'll say a little bit about what I know about the way the ghostwriting worked. So they were super busy. I think this is when Everworld had started mm-hmm. and Kay Applegate had thought that, that was going to be ghostwritten, but then she had to write that herself. So they set up ghostwriting for the Animorphs. And the way it worked is Apple Grant did all of the outlines for all of the books in the series, but more or less starting from this point with a few exceptions all of the books until the last few are ghostwritten and were given off to other people, except for the Chronicles books and the Megamorphs books, which were all K.A. Applegate and Michael Grant. And they also have said, I think maybe this book, they forget to, they didn't credit them properly. Oh, really? It, start, it starts to say in the books, you'll see that Wait, they're with help from in, in the dedication it of the book. It does say it in this one. Okay. Yes. So they probably corrected it in the ebook or something. But yeah, a couple cool. times the ghostwriters didn't get credit. And what they basically said is, even though they had experience ghostwriting for other series, they were terrible editors because they were always so behind schedule, they couldn't give feedback. They would just fix things themselves. <laughs> so they would get something back. They wouldn't have time to do any iteration. So they would often or sometimes have to rewrite whole things or change things. Huh. So yeah, it's definitely still heavy Apple, Apple Grant involvement. Yeah. But, right. Yeah. But, I don't know. I have thoughts about <laughs> what about this feels ghostwriterly to me, but I'm curious, what's your overall take? Well, that does explain, I had I was curious about the um, 
the author wishes to thank Jeffrey Zelke for his help in preparing this manuscript. That's and good. I was like, what does that mean? That is my bit. <laughs> I, I think it actually, that speaks perhaps to some of what we said at the beginning, right? That this feels like a pretty traditional Anna Morse book, mm-hmm. which is what you'd write if you were doing the first ghostwritten one. That it's maybe not quite as strong and that maybe like some of the pieces don't entirely hold together. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Because, of course, that that never happens. Yeah, I was going to say, like, but I I don't know that I noticed a distinct tone shift or even quality shift. I think it's pretty well done tone-wise. It does feel like maybe it was like they were like, okay, well, we're not going to give them anything too ambitious for the first Ghost Run 1. So, okay, they go to the Arctic and it's it's cold. (laughs) (laughs) That does explain seven chapters of walking through cold weather. (laughs) I, mean, it was I kind really of, cold. I kind of enjoyed like because I felt like we needed to feel the relentlessness. I don't know. I remembered like a third of the way through that this was the first ghost written book, and I it was really tough for me to set that aside because I mm-hmm. kept feeling like, oh, this character does this, but that doesn't really count. And like huh. I don't, I don't think that's true. And that's certainly not how I felt when I read the series the first time. Like I can't remember when. Like I knew at the time that some of them were ghost written. I don't. I don't think I figured it out right away, but I I was aware, and it didn't really change my appreciation of the books. But this time, maybe because we've been talking about like authorial intent so much and really like taking the text apart, I felt like I didn't quite have as much standing to do that for this one, which I don't actually like think is true. I mean, Apple Grant did go through and like vet everything. It's not like someone was just going rogue. And, mm-hmm. um, it's not a high quality fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, it's it yes, it is it has canon status. It is not the same as high quality fan fiction. I kept feeling like there were certain characterizations that felt off. Mm-hmm. Like the one where Axe Axe says and the lights have never been known to smell didn't feel just something about the voice mm-hmm. of that felt off to me. There's also some like who says things in the group things that that I kind of picked up on. Like at one point, Rachel makes like an animal fact-based suggestion in the mm. group. And I'm like, oh, that kind of feels like maybe that's normally a Cassie thing. Mm. But like maybe, again, I'm reading too much into it. The idea of like Jake yells, but then he never yells. Or the idea where Marco finally clues into the Rachel and Tobias that relationship. That one, I felt. I was, wonder if yeah. those details are the kind of things, or if you're kind of like, a ghostwriter who's just read all the Animorphs books trying to get into it, you're like, oh, I've kind of absorbed all of these things, and, like, I'm going to put in some fun details that haven't happened yet or make connections that haven't happened yet. Or, like, hmm. you know, do you... Like, I wonder if Kay Applegate and Michael Grant were like, this is the one where Marco finds out about the relationship. Or is it just that the ghostwriter yeah. put in a joke that works? I think the ghostwriter hadn't realized that Marco didn't know. Like, that was hmm. my guess. But for the other stuff, I felt like some of the characterization was, like, really, like kind of hitting us over the head with it a little bit like um like axe's bit with the like one of your minutes and then that becoming sort of a running gag or like the many many times marco's like oh rachel she's always angry she's always like violent and all this stuff like it just felt like they were like overplaying it a little bit they did kind of become caricatures of themselves just a little i mean not not too much i don't think it's yeah the other thing was that so it's a marco book and i think marco's voice is pretty good in terms of the humor. But I feel mm-hmm. like everyone else was funnier, oh. even in a Marco book. And so I wonder if that... This ghostwriter's just funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just sort of, especially with the Tobias just being funny Tobias the whole time. Yeah. I feel like everyone gets these good, funny moments. Mm-hmm. There was a great a great paragraph that I wanted to bring up was he talks about humor and spells out exactly how Marco uses humor in a very like, <laughs> straightforward way. But that, yeah, but like Marco is so much clearer about himself than he has been previously. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, he calls out. Know. He's pretty darn clear in 15 where he's but like, he's this wrong. is my philosophy. But oh, he's, he's wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's in denial. Yeah. Well, and this one is just, from my point of view, if you're not laughing, you're crying. 
humor as coping mechanism, which not ah. a sentence, and also like very. It doesn't have to be a sentence. Upfront about if you're pretending it's a sentence, it should probably have a verb. Um, uh, no, no, no. Stylistically, you can put in sentence fragments. It's fine. Sure. Uh, it just seemed a little like straightforward to what Marco has. Yes, it's like, oh, here's his psychology. Humor's his coping mechanism. Right. I'll put it in and and think it myself. Yeah, and like, Marco was like, I felt like he's, this is the, a little bit of the creepier version of Marco, the way that he thinks about women. Like, the Baywatch poster. Yeah, or the the thing where he's jealous that Tobias was watching Marion through her window and he wasn't, which first of all, Tobias was not doing that. But also, we saw that in 10. He was, like, creeping on a girl through her window. I don't know that this is out of character, unfortunately. He's a 13-year-old boy. No, no, I'm not saying he's out of character, but it's, like, further in that direction than he's been recently. So, again, it's, like, it's interesting. It's just interesting for me to think about this is what someone else trying to do Marco and doing a really good job is, right? And, like, oh, there's some really good... One of the bits that I love is Marco quoting people and then saying, okay, maybe they didn't really say that. Like, after mm-hmm. the fact, right? Uh-huh. And when Eric is, like, dismissing them, he's like, all right, you're like, good luck on your mission, guys. I'm going to go oil my elbow joints. <laughs> <laughs> my note is like, oh, my God, Eric is hilarious. And there's like, wait, no, no, no. This is Marco. <laughs> Eric did not say this. I was like, this is a great joke. I like that a lot. Yeah. Right? It did feel a little bit like... Well, no, it's not. It's it's not lowest common denominator marker book because that would be like about his mom. Um, but it's like a Marco book that's not about the sensitive emotional stuff because it seems like they're you know just trying to give a low stakes plot. And so of course the Chi show up. The Chi have shown up in the last. This is the fourth Marco book in a row. Has the Chi ever shown up not in a Marco book? Like has Eric ever talked to a character outside yet. of the Marco books? Maybe not. Does Eric only live in Marco's imagination? <laughs> Whoa. Do the Animorphs books take place in five parallel timelines? <laughs> it's too heavy. Well, because, okay, so 10, we meet them. 15, they tell them about the underwater facility. 20, they're like, oh, yeah, the world leaders are coming. 25, Eric shows up and is like, yeah, this satellite dish. Have they ever shown up in a different book? I think so. Certainly mentioned. Did they show up Did they show up with the Hewlett Aldershot thing? That's what I was going to think. I think so. That Was that them? Maybe. It was that or the Joe Bob Finestre thing. It was one of the two where they were like, you should go find this dude. They anyway. didn't do the Joe Bob Finestre thing. But okay. let me, I'm going to look up. I don't know why I'm pretending like I know this stuff. They use Hald. The ghostwriter uses Hald. I noticed books, that. I was like, great. this ghostwriter really did their homework right. using yeah. the Hald. Or that's one of the parts that got um, edited. You but know? you know what the ghostwriter messed up? What? Once they use it actually as it's intended to be used. <laughs> they did use that that way. But little did my dad know that he'd be sharing his cornflakes with an android who'd been on Earth since before the first flake was created. That is the wrong cereal. <laughs> it's Marco. Maybe Marco doesn't eat Wheaties. How dare you? Everyone eats Wheaties in the Animorphs universe. <laughs> There's only one cereal and it is Wheaties. I'm so sorry. Exactly. Well, Marco Thank is you. quite small. Maybe he has not been eating his Wheaties. <laughs> That he is small. He's apparently, so he's apparently, yes. <laughs> and why I'm so tall. He's apparently shorter than Eric, who is uh, five feet tall, we learned in book 10. And presumably he hasn't grown because he's an android. Uh, Marco is shorter than that. Well, couldn't Eric so. be any height that he wanted to be? But presumably he doesn't fluctuate. I mean, I guess he's a 13-year-old, so to speak. So he's probably growing his hologram bit by bit. These are very short 13-year-olds. <laughs> Cassie and Marco are both very short. Adorable. Rachel is very tall. Jake is also very tall. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what I said, 5'2". <laughs> so in your 
Melanomorph's story that you recently finished posting on Archive of Our Own, Jenny. Oh, um, yeah. How did you go about finding the it. voice for the characters? I liked it so much. So, there... <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. It's really good. I yeah, we more. should. Okay, let's really let's, want more. <laughs> let's intro it again. Jenny, you recently finished Melanomorphs, or you finished posting it on Archive of Our Own. Uh huh. Yeah. So I don't know. It's wait, wait, wait. No, no. Let's talk about it. It's, it's Jenny's thing that she did that's good. Like Jenny, <laughs> really so trying to generate <laughs> conversation. Kevin, uh, what right. did you like about it? All right. So. First of all, the characterizations, like, the, the way you transitioned all of them to have, like, analogs to their, you know, teenage versions mm-hmm. was fantastic. It was to be clear, they're all 30 in that I, story. I, I know, but it, I just, like, we didn't Tobias, the homeless man living in the construction site, that is heartbreaking. I love that, that they're all working at, like, a Silicon Valley, like, something or other. <laughs> um, it, it makes sense that they would be programmers. I do wonder if in the future they'll be a little bit more, you know... Talented with computers, like maybe use the internet <laughs> functionally. Mark is a good hacker. Yeah, Mark hacks stuff. Uh, <laughs> he hacks stuff the way they hack stuff in Swordfish. <laughs> oh, let me type this really is. quickly. No, I, I I approved of Marco's skills. Yes, um, but no, just like the whole thing, it it got you got the flavor right, mm-hmm. and oh, that is thanks, really really hard and. As soon as I was finished, I'm like, okay, so more please. Okay, and, I'm going to have to write the next one. That, that's, that, that is the highest compliment I can give. Like, it, as soon as I was done, I wanted more. That's, that's awesome. awesome. I felt. Yeah, that's really great. I really want this series. It's so good. Have it, you, like, written a letter to I, Kate Applegate? No, I probably should. Kate Applegate, if you're listening to this, we should publish this. <laughs> um, no, it's, it is interesting. It's always really interesting trying to imitate another writer's style. And I very much was, like, trying to sound specifically like Jake in this book. I'm like, maybe I should go into ghostwriting or something because I, I really enjoy that, like trying to mm. pick up the flavors. Like there are just like sentence lengths and like structures that they use and like the way they break up their paragraphs. and It's like an accent. Yeah, yes, yes. It's like speaking in an mm. accent. That's a really great analogy. And all five of them have very distinct voices and I'm really looking forward because I wrote a different story from Marco's point of view and that one was very enjoyable because I love Marco's style of humor. And I haven't like actually tried my hand at the other ones yet. I'm so very much looking forward to did the way did the we didn't really talk about we talked about the way people were characterized, but we didn't really talk about like the narrative voice that this ghostwriter uses. Mm, so like mm-hmm. did it It felt like Animorphs. It felt like Animorphs. Yeah. It felt I like I think they Marco. did a great job. Yes, mm-hmm. it felt like Marco. Yeah, I feel like right. It had the body horror stuff, it had the exciting combat scene, it had the extreme feelings, it had the like even the little moments when he thinks about his mom, like it's not heavy mm-hmm. material, but it's still like it, it was like well expressed. A, it was feelings. a stone skipped across a pond. Like you know, th- there was a lot of depth there, and he was just like, nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not getting into that. It's a nice image. So there are thirty more ghost-written books. Uh, well, the next one really. isn't. Oh, okay. I, I had no idea that these were yeah. ghost-written. I, again, I was like, I don't know, thirteen when I finished mm-hmm. reading these, so it never even occurred to me to check. Hmm. Yeah. And some of the ghostwritten ones are among my favorites. Like, there are some really good ones coming out. How do you feel hearing that, Gray? I'm glad that some of them are good. (laughs) (laughs) She sounds dubious. So I have a question that you guys may not know the answer to. Yeah. To what extent did Apple Grant map out the arc of the series as a whole versus it being a what is the new adventure we're going to talk about this week and then we'll kind of see where the characters bring us. 
This is something that I don't think we should get into. Okay. Yeah. I also don't know the answer to it. Ted might know more. Because I there are some series that I enjoy because they have a distinct arc that mm-hmm. for the characters and the plot that could only be written in this many episodes of a TV series, this many books, you know, whatever it is. And others where it kind of meanders because they had the space and the time yeah. and they didn't know that the series was going to end or whatever. And sometimes those have very different kinds of endings. They mm-hmm. can feel more abrupt. They can feel out of sync with the rest of it, in part because someone else was writing those or because uh-huh. they you know, they didn't know the TV show was going to get canceled and all of a sudden they can't write yeah. that last I mean, fortunately, I don't to. think they had that last problem, um, but... It is nice. Like, I feel like it feels very much like discovery writing to me. Like, what's the next adventure? Ooh, and this brought out themes that, like, we didn't know were there. And also they're like, oh, they've been through a lot of battles. Okay, yeah, this would be taking a toll on them. And so you get sort of some natural That's what it feels like to me, but I'm intrigued to see how it is. Yeah, I feel like there are certain... I feel like I have a stronger answer to this question, but they ended it on their terms. So there isn't like a, oh, well, the TV show got canceled type feel to the ending. Well, I mean, we can... Without saying anything more about it. I would like to start a a new, like, thing for Grey at the end of every episode. (laughs) We're just getting so many things for Grey. What is one animal that they have yet to acquire that you would like them to acquire? Oh, oh no. Yeah, I think you should always have top three animals. And then if they ever acquire them, you can replace it. Oh, I like that. You know... They've got a gorilla, but they don't have any other monkeys. Ooh. Monkeys are fun. Monkeys are fun. Well, they had those monkeys, but then they lost them. Right. Do no, they have them? Yeah. It's time so travel, they, always taking things away. I mean, if they had been able to keep the dinosaurs, that would... I know. Really they I have giant anteaters now. Come on. <laughs> there is no reason... I don't think he's heard that one yet. No. no <laughs> there is no reason they shouldn't still have dinosaurs. No, there is. It's true. But yeah, do you have do you have a top, top three animals? Uh, okay, so monkeys. Uh-huh. And... Now they have polar bears. That's good. Someone else should get a lion. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't just be David. It should be Cassie. Cassie should get a lion. Cassie does not... Like, that was, like, the good thing about the polar bears. Mm. Cassie's combat morph, which she needs to be able to defend herself, was always lackluster. Yeah. Again, like... Maybe purposefully a little bit. Maybe. On her part or the book's part. But she, one. Even, even, like, being able to get away. Mm-hmm. Like, a wolf is, like, stealthy, but surrounded by eight-foot-tall... Lizard monsters, not great. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of Rachel and Cassie as bear buddies. Aww. If Rachel's a grizzly bear and Cassie's a polar bear. That's really that's nice. Really great, yeah. the, the only downside would be that the polar bears would overheat really quickly. Uh. <laughs> Cassie has heat stroke. Demorph. Demorph. Maybe, uh, Komodo dragons. Ooh. Okay. Bravo. Good. The one that I was always disappointed about, like, is from, like, the 10th one. Okay. Hippopotamus. It is such a useful morph. Because, really <laughs> tell us more. No, no, no. They're so, super dangerous. They're, they're, they're like the most dangerous animal in Africa. Nothing messes with them because they're yeah. three-ton horses that can bite a person in half. Also, what's their defense mechanism, Kevin? They, oh God, they, they poo and they fling their tails around it, like spreading it everywhere. So it's just like everything that my poop touches is mine. <laughs> Wow. Wow. I just think I books for 13-year-olds would really enjoy having right? that. Would love that. Would Invisor 3 love to have a hippopotamus morph? Right? But, like, also, they can run 40 miles an hour. Yeah. Whoa. Like, they are terrifying it's creatures. It's even faster than a leopard. Yeah. Like, they are absolutely sure horrifying yeah. creatures. And, like, 
there's got to be like a sea world somewhere where they could just like, okay, guys, we're going on a field trip. We're going to acquire an orca. We're going to get a hippopotamus. Everybody's going to get like a giant cat because they're nature's killing machines. Yeah. But the problem is they're only going to get them when they need them because otherwise if a narrative need arises and like, I mean, it's the narrative, you know, determinism again, like they, they need to like, they can't be like, oh yeah, we acquired this morph we never used before. Now we're going to use it. Like that's not as fun as them acquiring a new thing. Like pachyderm, it means the skin. <laughs> It'd be good for the monsters. That's <laughs> true. So there are some things in this book I feel like we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, I had one Visser thing and one Science Corner thing. There's, good, all right. Let's do the Visser thing. Um, hey, uh, you guys, um, Visser 3 decorates the walls of his yeah, state room in his blade ship, and he apparently decorates them with uh, torture implements that he has gotten from around the, the universe. Yeah. Yes, Including he does. an Iron Maiden, which the book reminds us is a cage with spikes inside. Mm-hmm. What kind of room do you have where there is a cage big enough for a person on the like you would bump your head on it? What are you doing? Well, he's got four eyes. Yeah. I imagine he doesn't bump it too much. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like that's like the same person who would like hang a whole bunch of like dead animals on their walls. Yeah. Not this big. Do <laughs> this we is think, a lovely room of death. Do we think this is the side of him that's like really nerdy? Do you think he actually researches torture devices? Well, if he did, he didn't do a good job because mm-hmm. the history of the Iron Maiden is very uh, questionable. Is it? Yeah. yeah. It's like a early 19th century historical invention of like oh the medieval people were so primitive based on some Whoa. like misunderstandings of actual things which is ridiculous because there are some like legitimate like horrible torture devices that he could have right. chosen i think okay the, the so thing, not a, the not thing that i'm remembering is they used to like like um have like stocks that people would wear while they'd be like pelted with you know rotten food and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. and then like that was kind of, like, leveled up to... And it had spikes on the inside, just to kind of, what? like, scare people in the early 1800s. Very mistrustable, the chokey. Yeah. Mm. So there was an Inuit kid. We haven't really talked about that oh, yeah. much. Except that he's the best. Yeah, that, <laughs> he I, was I, the I best. I to be an anamorph. <laughs> the, my favorite thing about it is that Derek is really funny, and Marco can't stand it. And I realized Marco would not be friends with himself. <laughs> no, Marco has to be the one to make the jokes. This is why he needs to be with someone with not, without a great sense of humor. Oh, no, he and X are doomed. No, no, no. He needs to be with... <laughs> now that X is funny, it can never happen. Axe <laughs> is the... Maybe Axe is the perfect straight man so to speak to his comedy because (laughs) you know he needs someone who appreciates his humor but not someone who's going to compete and try to make all the jokes yeah Mm. Um, so my speaking of Derek Mm -hmm. my um, prediction from the last book uh, was that they were going to go to the North Pole yeah and that is why they needed polar bears good job me that the Yerks were going to create some kind of base on the North Pole good job me yep and that they were going to infest Santa Quite right. I mean, that was the moonshot. <laughs> However, I still want. I like that. I think is probably my favorite hypothetical animal. Okay, let's get that read. piece of fan fiction. So, New York's infested. You could hit I, every house in a night. Exactly. That's why I said it would be so useful. I did think that I had gotten even that part right because when Derek shows up, it's at the end of a chapter. Marco realizes that they're all looking over his shoulder towards someone behind him. He turns around and says. Hi, um, no offense about the joke I was just making. And the chapter ends with, none taken, he said. And I was like, Santa? <laughs> <laughs> it was not Santa, it was Derek. He's better, but it was... 
<laughs> I got very excited for a second. Yeah. Well, I wonder, okay. yeah, I'm curious what kind of like research they did about, because I, I admittedly did not do any research last night at 11 p.m. when I read this book, but like, is like, is this how the Inuit dress? Do they like, are these like Alaskan Inuit who speak English super well? Seems like, you know, satellite dishes. It's, it's like seems very plausible. And I wonder mm-hmm. like what kind of research they did. On I mean, how's the, cel- how's the satellite reception in Alaska? I bet they, uh, they have some good dishes. Well, you'd think that the Aurora Borealis would, like, interfere with it. But, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> too deep into the weeds. <laughs> they did call him an Inuit, which I was pleased by. Yeah. I like how he has this he has this weird combination of clothes, Marco says. Pants made of fur, mittens made of some other kind of fur, and a shabby big blue parka that could have come from Eddie Bowers. And Derek is like, Star Trek, you guys don't watch cable? Get a satellite dish. <laughs> he does really like Star Trek. Yep. And therefore completely accepts their explanation that there are aliens. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, all right. That right. Seems and at first he's like, oh, you're animal spirits. And I was like, oh, are they going to like play, like try and pretend that they're these mystical creatures? But he's like, yeah, I already know about the aliens. Like you're probably aliens too. Like, Whatever. <laughs> you don't have to explain it. He's like, he's very <laughs> he's canny. So chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just like, you know, he's just letting, he's letting it all come in and he's kind of testing them to see how they're going to respond before he... <laughs> Clues them into all the info he has. At the end, he's like, that was cool. This will make a great story for me to tell. No one will believe it, but it'll be a great story. It's true. He's got a little uh, ecology lecture that he gives mm-hmm. um, about the difference between the guys who come up from New York and Detroit to shoot bears and, har- and caribou from helicopters. I'm sorry, New York and Detroit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, it was a different I mean, time. It, yeah, <laughs> That's true. It was, That's true. Still the 90s. Crazy for killing they are. There are then the ecology people um, who come up and they're worried about, he's worried about the water and, and the kind of ability to save the save the land and the animals in it, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. I still think that he should have recruited Derek. Like, why not? <laughs> Do they have the cube? They have to awesome. trust him. No, they would have no, to, like... No, it's still, I guess, in Cassie's backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we don't know where it is we right really, now. We really hope that there's not, I like, hope a track on that. Yeah, I what hope the Helicrons didn't spot. come back while they were at the North Pole? Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. That's too funny. Oh, get the Helicrons to shrink it, and you can put it in a necklace. Ooh. Wait. Men in Black. <laughs> Did you just Men in Black the Galaxy? Yes. Oh. So, yeah, what other, uh, one, what other just, things? I, I was looking through my notes. At one, when Eric is introduced... Mark was like, Eric didn't attend this school. Eric didn't attend the human race. I love that. <laughs> Such a good line. Oh, my God. Oh, Eric. So there's a line where, um, I think it's the polar bear. He did fling me into a nearly flawless double axle. And I was like, ooh, I know about figure skinning now. I know exactly what that is. I bet that's not what he did. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh like, so we must have taken off forwards and done two and a half rotations. Okay. <laughs> I do like that Rachel was immediately just like, she gets one good hit and she's like, okay, screw it. I want to take him on my own. <laughs> I liked the thing where they were running into the fight where Rachel's like, I go straight at him. You grab him from behind. Yep. Ready? Nope. Go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they're, they're baby seals being chased by orcas and they're just like, okay, we're just going to skip over this. It was a terrifying experience and we're never going to talk about it again. They always have terrifying experiences in the middle of the books. Yeah, and, I, yeah. I, yeah I do love like all of the extremeness of the like cold and the emotions and the slugging through stuff. I thought that was all great. It's just like really yeah, good hanging out yeah. with the Animorphs while they suffer through I mean, being an chased by a bus with teeth is... Yeah. Ooh. There were some Pretty great terrifying. images in this when Marco says, I touched the seal, wet and firm and soft like touching a furry water balloon. Ooh, I love that. What yeah, an image. Furry water balloon. 
Good description. He scratched me on the nose, but I felt like I kind of deserved it. <laughs> yeah, you did. You really did. But you know, they didn't. They didn't hurt the baby seals. No. Right. No. I I really liked Marco's little pang of sadness where he's like, "Oh, I don't have a mother either." Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. really good, like lightweight angst. A little bit of pick though. I want to read a little bit of Marco's excitement at finally being warm when they morph the seal, just because it is the thing I remember from this book. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Just because we feel the cold so strongly at this point. There's no shelter for them. They have no animals to take refuge in. He's like, oh, the joy, the blessing, the fabulous, incredible, sensuous sensation. The most wonderful thing I've ever felt from the day of my birth to that very moment. Warmth! I was warm, warm. If the heavens had opened and a giant hand had come down out of the clouds, giving me a billion dollars, my pick from the entire cast of Baywatch, past and present, <laughs> and allowing me to grow two feet taller while magically acquiring all of Michael Jordan's skill. He would still be too short. With a basketball, I could not have been happier. <laughs> I feel like this is very Marco also, yeah. this sort of like really going yeah, overboard with this. That is very good. With the, the whole middle section when they're kind of slogging through the cold and figuring out how to survive in their various animal morphs actually reminded me of nothing so much as Julia of the Wolves. Oh. Or, or one of those other kind of classic children's uh, survival mm-hmm. novels mm-hmm. that were so popular that, you know, it's all about how you're going to fight the cold and learn how to do your own yeah. thing. No one thought to make an igloo. <laughs> well, they were being chased. They're to stop and make an igloo. They're, they're wolves. They're like, we can outrun them. Like we're faster, and we have uh, no. The Venber are super fast. No, no, no. They, they said the wolves could like. Uh, oh, the wolves could outrun them, but they also have to stop and demorph every two hours. So. Yeah, but then they they were just like huddling in the snow. They do manage like, to lose the Venber. Yeah. That's that's true. And no one's just like, okay, so we're here. Doesn't it take a while we're... to build an igloo? No, it doesn't take that long at all. Especially if you don't have hands. No, you, you, if it's, <laughs> if anything, it's easier for a dog. You just dig into the side of the snow pile. Oh well, they did kind of build a snow shelter. Did they, though? They found a cave. Yeah. Well, no, didn't they say they, like... I want to find this now. I feel like they found, like, an outcropping, and they're just like, it shields us from the wind. It's enough. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I want to find The trick now. is you're supposed to build, like, a, a portion underneath where you're going to sit so the cold air sinks lower than you are. Oh. Oh, see, they probably didn't know that. Interesting. I feel like that's something that Tobias would have known. Tobias should have known. Yeah, de- definitely. Yeah. You know, he's only 13. He hasn't had that much time. When he gets to the point where he's ready to lay the time matrix, he'll be much wiser. <laughs> oh, Tobias. Tries to fly away. I can't. I can't. Tobias. Aww. He can't do it. I want to find this thing where they shelter overnight now. There's... We dug a lair in a snowdrift on top of some rocks looking out over the ice. And by lair, I mean a big hole. A big wet snow hole. Yeah. So they <laughs> Thanks, probably Marco. didn't do the thing where the like they had a lower area for the colder air to sink. They, they probably didn't know. I didn't know. Well, now you do. Yeah. Now now I know better how to survive in the Arctic. Although, if I land in the Arctic, I don't have any more, so I would just die. But Humans are pretty resilient, man. I guess if I had, like, Arctic gear. Also, I personally am not. So, <laughs> I'm of the kill me before the zombie apocalypse, leave me to die. I'm just slowing you down. I have a science corner that I want to do before, Yay! Let's go to science corner. before we do our 90s <laughs> references. I, so. I also have one more thing. Okay. Uh, do you want to do that first? This oh, yeah, sure. Important. So... What is what genre are the Animorphs in? What what's the genre of the series? Uh, are we back to science, is this science fiction? Or fiction? Right. So Marco compares them to superheroes. He says superheroes oh, use yeah. their special powers to save the world, and that's what my five friends and I are doing. So oh, that's an interesting Animorphs point. are superheroes. Why or why not? not but they don't exactly have special the powers. Genre. They have a special power. 
Well, yeah, but sometimes a superhero just has a power. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man. Uh, Flash. Is the Animorphs power their different points of view? <laughs> Only like metaphorically. That. doesn't like that. <laughs> That's the thing. They're not vigilantes, and they're not working on behalf of like a government entity. So, like, the, the, it's like they're sort of like vigilantes. They've got the secret identity thing going on. Are they sci-fi superheroes? Are they not superheroes because they don't have like magic powers? Like, do these feel like superhero stories? Well, superheroes are a subset of sci-fi. Yeah. These don't feel like superhero stories, though. To me, right? So, what's different? I think the fact that it's a constant enemy. Like, the, what makes their lives different is not their powers, it's their enemy. Like, if the Yerks disappeared, they would just go to school. If, um, Except for David. Okay, David is not an animorph. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's like, it's this war against the Yerks, not like, we have these powers and every enemy who comes to town, we have to beat them. Like, there are occasional things where they have to beat other, like, things, but mostly it's yeah, defeat right, the Yerks. Yeah, right, right, right. It's more of a, like, science fiction lore story. Yeah, yeah. That is a very interesting, like... Because I feel it's like superheroes very are... Very thin line. Yes. Well, the thing about superheroes, right, is, like, it's the individual powers and how that affects their psychology. Right, yeah. yeah. And it's really about the group of them and their bigger picture thing. Yeah, it's it's about how do we get rid of this threat, not, like, how are, have these powers changed our lives? Like, it's just an emphasis thing, I think. Yeah. That's, that's actually, I like that. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. I don't know. There are probably other ways to define superheroes. Yeah. I mean, like, when Marco said that, I was like, it, this is, I, I also had the same, like, this isn't really a superhero thing, but I couldn't really come up with a yeah. concrete explanation of why. But I like, yeah, I, like I think that, that I like yeah. her take, Jenny. Oh, see what the commenters have to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Science Corner time. Are you guys ready for Science Corner? Yes. Yeah. Okay. They are in a blade ship, and they are going to the North Pole from, mm-hmm. let's call it, San Diego. Great. And Axe says the journey is going to take three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And Marco makes a joke about, oh, are we going to the moon? And Axe says, going to the moon would take less than three and a half of your hours. Our journey will take longer because we will be flying through the planet's atmosphere. Let me explain how that isn't correct. Go on. First of all, I'm assuming San Diego to the North Pole. That is... 3,959 miles. Mm-hmm. It's going to take them three and a half hours. They're traveling at about 1,100 miles an hour, which, by the way, considerably faster than the speed of sound. So sound just, booms everywhere. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. fun fact. This is like Elfanger and Arbrun on the Taxi yeah. Homeworld yes. type of speed. Exactly. Well, they were only like 200,000 miles an hour, I think. Very silly. So this is very fast. Yeah. yeah. The speed of sound is 767 miles per hour, in case mm-hmm. anyone's keeping track at home. So they're going 1,100 miles per hour. The moon is 250,000 miles away. Uh Uh-huh. So at the speed of 1,100 miles per hour, it would take them around 221 hours, or 9.2 days, to travel to the moon. Now, as Jenny pointed out to me, (laughs) it will not take as long because for at least part of the trip to the moon, most of the trip to the moon, moon. they're not traveling through atmosphere. However, uh, it took the Apollo mission... 51 hours and 49 minutes to land at the moon, and the fastest unmanned space travel to the moon thus far has also taken two days. So, mm. no. But your technology is super advanced. I'm just going to throw this out that half faster than light travel, you could not do that in an atmosphere because, like, everything would explode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is entirely possible that once they leave the atmosphere, they can activate their super duper engines, Except get to I an appreciable you know speed of light, and per two hundred and twenty five 
That, yeah, and then, and then slow down. I, don't, I think it's actually too short a distance for them to use their Z-Space travel, because their Z-Space travel is so imprecise, as we saw in the Andalite Chronicles. Like, they can use Z-Space travel to get to the solar system, and then they oh, have to I'm use I'm not even talking, travel. like, just Z-Space travel. I'm talking just, like, if you wanted to go significantly fast, like, if you want to go to, like, a hypersonic speed, the force just, like, on the materials is so high. Like, there, there is a limit to how fast... Like a missile can travel, mm-hmm. even accelerating all yeah. once you're out of the atmosphere yeah. would be too hard. The, the the only like downside to like accelerating as fast as they could, assuming that you know they don't crush everybody on the ship going to the moon, <laughs> um, is once you reach the halfway point, you immediately have to flip and start turning, start slowing down. Right? <laughs> again, but again, like it, it's always like you know fuzzy science. Like every science fiction describes it as field technology, where it's just like sure. oh, we we have created this bubble. Where momentum does not exist. Yeah. On Much like radiant heat. Yes. Wait, I have another theory. Axe is trying to make a joke, but no one knows that he's capable of being sarcastic yet. That's entirely possible. All right, I'll take it. That's end science corner for the week. I like the science corner. Do, do we want to do some 90s references? Because yeah. it's Marco, so there, there are, some of course, ones. a lot of them. Oh, my God, there were so many. Can I, my, go do you want to hear my favorite? Yeah. Study hall was being held in the school gym this week. They'd closed our usual classroom. Something about asbestos and lawsuits. <laughs> that one made me laugh so hard. <laughs> Relatable. My favorite was Hulk Frozen. Um, for the reason that... So this is when Rachel and Marco are... Uh, subduing Nanook so that they, the other animorphs can put him into an acquiring trance and they can all become polar bears. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're doing like wrestling moves on him. And so when I read the phrase Hulk Frozen, mm-hmm. I do not think of Hulk Hogan, the wrestler. I think of the Incredible Hulk from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Elsa from Frozen. That's what I thought of! <laughs> I was like, what kind of reference is Hulk Frozen supposed to be? Oh, no. And like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense at all. And then if suddenly Elsa could Hulk out? Yeah, and yeah then suddenly I went through that whole thing. Suddenly I was like, oh, it clicked, Hulk Hogan. And was like, oh, Hulk Frozen. It's like, it's this reference has not aged, but in a really, really specifically strange way. I like how Shaquille O'Neal is like, you know how it's the it's like a global like joke how when Americans want to judge distance, they're like how many football fields? In this case it's like how many Shaquille O'Neal's <laughs> I was three feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. I weighed five times as much as him. I could have r- dribbled Shaq the length of the court and stuffed him. I was mighty. Stuffed him. Mm-hmm. Not, not dunked him, stuffed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also a free willy reference. Yeah. A weird one. Uh, they're being chased by the orca in their seal morphs. And they just, he refers to the whales as Willy. And then he just continues to call the whale Willy for the rest of the chapter. Um, he's Willy, free and looking for a seal meal. And then the whole rest of the chapter, it's um, Willy did that, Willy did this other thing. <laughs> All right. We had a lot of Baywatch. Mm-hmm. A lot. We had a Hunt for Red October reference. We did. He had Tom Cruise. Still relevant. Yeah, but like, it was like, I was on the beach at Malibu, sipping lemonade and talking trash with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise was cool then. Aw, uh, you would want to sit on a beach with Tom <laughs> exactly. Cruise. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the Nutty Professor reference. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Marco references, like, when Visor 3 is thought speaking right next to them, Marco says, it was like being in a front row seat at a Beastie Boys concert right by the big speakers. Which, great reference, but also, has Marco done that? He's 13. He didn't have any money for, like, the last two years. Has he, like, had this experience? Maybe his father likes the Beastie Boys. <laughs> I mean, he also made an Iron Maiden reference. 
Uh, he, when he, he did said call when it Dinosaur it, Rock. Not the Dinosaur Rock <laughs> Band, the Middle Ages Cage. I was like, Dinosaur Rock Band? Amazing. <laughs> I bet that Jake got you tickets. You realize you're, like, younger than Marco. <laughs> I bet that Jake got tickets to BC Boys and brought Marco. Whoa. Uh, but also, I feel like 13-year-olds going to, the, like, I don't know, that's pretty young. I don't know. The Beastie Boys are relatively tame. Okay. With Jake's dad and his brother, you know, like. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's not, yeah, that could happen. Also, these kids are very poorly supervised, so who knows what they're getting up to. <laughs> Oh, maybe he went to a Beastie Boys concert in Bergmorph. <gasps> yeah, that that is something he would do with Jake because you know Jake can't let him go alone. Mm-hmm. Right. I was very entertained by the line where Marco's like, "Sure, I might not mind being Marion's slave, but being this like Yerk slave is a different story." And I was like, "This is a nice perspective on what Mary, what uh, Marco hopes for out of a relationship." He and Rachel are going to end up together. Do we want to talk? <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to talk at all about him and Marion? I just thought <laughs> I thought it was a really sweet characterization of him, of like totally being unable to deal with pretty genuine interest from a gr- another girl his age who he finds attractive. Right? Also, like, like he's he's really into her and so completely lies about his interests in order to get a date with her. Beethoven's thirty third symphony. I mean, that's what we all do when we're in relationships. But I think more. Yes, great. Go on. <laughs> Hi, honey. <laughs> More to the point, this is the first girl who has ever shown genuine interest in him. Yes. She's beautiful. She asks him out to yeah. a concert. She arranges it. She gives him her number. She's very into this for whatever reason. Yeah. And then he falls asleep halfway through the concert. <laughs> Buddy, pinch yourself awake. You were sitting next to a beautiful girl. Get the butterflies going. Sometimes What's wrong with you? it's a struggle. Your eyelids are just falling shut. No, no, no. He was handed a golden <laughs> ticket. <laughs> yeah. He was just like, I don't know what to do yeah, with he's this. So unable, he's so unable to deal with oh, it. I find it very, self-sabotaging? I, no, I, I find it very sweet that he's just like totally overwhelmed. Yeah. And it's like he's so excited about it too, right? Uh-huh. He's just like, my hand. I was surprised he didn't like have a little like, I'm never going to wash this hand again. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. He's he's too creative for that. He's like, either I had a major crush or the cafeteria had served tainted, tainted meat again. Yes. Again? What's wrong with the school? <laughs> there's asbestos. There's they're like giving the children tainted okay. meat. Okay, well, oh, there are so many lawsuits. The vice principal is a controller. Is an alien trying to who take over this, the earth? Who hit so. the number two of the Secret Service with a van? Exactly. So the leadership is very knew. bad. I don't know. I went to school in the 90s that had mystery meat once a week, lead paint, and asbestos. So, <laughs> And then the those 90s, were just the lunches. The <laughs> 90s really were a different time. <laughs> oh, delightful. I would have been so much smarter, you guys. <laughs> you would have been terrifying. Maybe nostalgia is misplaced. Uh, yes, nostalgia is always misplaced. <laughs> I say on this Strong nostalgia podcast. Jenny, you know what we're doing. <laughs> Jenny. The past was never perfect. We just, you know, paint it with a rosy glow. Should we talk about the next book, or do we have anything else we want to say? I'm ready. Okay. All right. The Attack. You ready? I'm ready. It's a Jake book. It's called The Attack. How's the cover? Real bad. No, it's not that bad. Five, four and five, fine. Look at two. Look look at his... I'm going to just make a noise real fast. You don't think that's creepy? I mean... I wouldn't want to hang out with that character. I mean... It's fine. I like this is one of the original covers, though. That's nice. You guys. We only yeah, have the original covers of It's these. only the first six that had new covers. Oh. Or first eight. First eight that Why had new covers. Why would they even bother? I don't know. Well, they tried to, like, reboot it and then failed. <laughs> they lost interest. 
Uh, okay, so it's Jake. Uh, he is morphing into his tiger. Yeah. We haven't had it in a cover yet. He's had it since the first book. Yeah, it's... They really are running out of ideas for animals. <laughs> and uh, the little subtext thing is, change is necessary. Oh, one of the helpful ones. One of the yeah. helpful ones, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Um, you didn't get a lot from Jake morphing a tiger? Really unhelpful. <laughs> it's called the attack. It's going to attack people in his tiger more. Okay. okay. Um, Strong predictions. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay, so the attack is going to be the Animorphs and the Free Cork Bashir mm-hmm. ganging up to attack another Kendrona race source. Ooh, okay. All right. So this is the last not ghostwritten book for a while. Okay. Do you have any ideas about, like, what the themes are that are going to be brought out? Uh, It's a Jake book, so they're going to talk about leadership. Mm, And (laughs) there's going to be some kind of conflict between him and Cassie that is Mm. either immediately resolved or ignored completely for the rest of the series. (laughs) Nice. How'd I do? Okay. So nothing new. Same old, same old. <laughs> it's just Jake. All right. There's a special treat in store for you, Gray, because you get to look at the image, not the text, but the image on the inside, and change your prediction if oh, you so choose. Oh, this is oh, not the words. It just has the thing. Does it have oh, a you have it. Oh, just great. Okay. <laughs> well, are they in Lego World? What is happening? <laughs> Oh my gosh, everybody go and look at this immediately. Okay, so the, what is happening? All right. Chaos. So Chaos is happening. The, it's it's the Animorphs. So we've got all of them in their battle morphs. And they are in some kind of Lego land, brightly colored carnival ride, attacking a, what appears to be what would happen if Wolverine and the Thing had a kid. <laughs> because it's like... I'm sure there's fan fiction where that happens. Gross. Lava Wolverine. Yeah, it's like a lava Wolverine. Lava Wolverine? With glowing blue eyes and, and, you know, Wolverine things coming out of the back of his arm. So is this a new alien that they're going to fight? Are they on a a spaceship of some sort? Okay, there's a new alien comes to town, and they've got to attack it in its spaceship and drive it away from the Earth. And maybe they stop off at Legoland for supplies. <laughs> you think what this supplies is, wait, 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 they wait. need? Great. Just by looking at this, you're saying this is Legoland in California? <laughs> I don't know what Legoland in California What do they do like with there. the Legos? I don't know. They use them as, um, <laughs> they shoot them at people where they're about to step. <laughs> Very effective. So the, you're saying that this species, their only vulnerability is the soles of their feet. <laughs> yes. Well, they're made of fire. No, I think this is. I think it's not Legoland. I think it's their spaceship. Mm, and that, okay. That's where they're okay. attacking. Okay. Well, this is going to be great. Delightful. I just. I'm so excited. I just wanted you to look at this picture where I could watch your reaction. <laughs> oh, I know. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great. It was I, everything I'm... he dreamed of. I'm very sad that I'm not going to be here oh. to, to see your reaction after having read the book. I'm sad you're not going to be here, too. You've been a great guest. You I know, Kevin, it's, it's been such a treat to have you on the podcast. Thank you yeah, so much for joining us. This was so awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Please come Please, please come back. <laughs> as long as you're willing to have me, I would love to come back. We have like we 30 can, books left, yeah. so. <laughs> and apparently they're not all great. So. They are. <laughs> yeah, come, back, come back for one of the... Uh, <laughs> Right, I can't say any. I can't say any numbers. Don't no. be prejudiced, Gray. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's been great. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Yay. Yay. Next time yeah. on Animorphs Lego Land. <laughs> if you want to find us, we are at animorphology.com and at animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. 
And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website. Don't eat my phone. <laughs>